What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 34th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. Happy summer solstice, everyone. It is. It's the longest day of the year. We'll be blinded by the light. I'm sure midway through this podcast, we usually have the blinds down. I'm just realizing as we started recording, I did not put the blinds down. It's nice to have some light in here. I guess. Uh, but you'll probably be blind by the end of this episode. We'll 100%. And, and also, I just don't like the light i'm a very pale individual yeah you're a nocturnal animal aren't you yes uh how you doing i'm good i'm good it's uh it's a friday uh this seems to be our go-to recording thing now our friday nights are now just two buds hanging out chatting movies and uh it makes for a very long work day for me but yeah yeah i mean you were busy you were working yeah i've been busier than usual not that i'm not busy yeah but like um more productive than usual and and earning your pay grade i mean not more productive i mean (laughs) i just busier like there's a lot of stuff going on because a couple people are on vacation so i'm kind of covering and also trying to do my other work so on top of that, also trying to keep up with um, screenings and doing this with you. So as much as this doesn't really feel like work, it still uh, makes for a long day. But I'm excited to chat. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm more excited about this than uh, my weekend plans of going on my brother's bachelor party to Kingston. Openly shit talking it on this. Oh, he won't listen. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And it's not even him. It's just I don't want to go to Kingston. Fair. At 8 a.m. in the morning on a Saturday. Right. And I just don't I don't mind hanging out with connor and 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 his friends i know a lot of them kingston you have something against it's just just kingston it's just the 8 a.m thing and it's just like i'm not a big party person i know i'm not yeah yeah like i'll go to your bachelor party and have a a good time but we're gonna get you so many strippers (laughs) that's my whole we'll just all be sitting at your place watching a movie (laughs) that i know I can party. I haven't, like, again, I, I don't do it very often We've anymore, gone to that but... age now where it's just, yeah. like, I'd rather I mean, be you'll get home. me, Ryan Byrne, my friend Kevin Luzak all together, and, like, I had one of those nights, like, a couple months ago where they came over. I think I talked about it on this podcast where, like, there's... Yeah, a, I think I saw the Insta story where you guys were, like, falling asleep and, and Ryan, like, Kevin was on the yeah, floor. <laughs> Ryan was the only one still awake. I was, like, asleep on the couch. We were watching Fast and Furious and uh, playing some NHL or whatever. So went back to, like, my college days or whatever. But and I haven't know, done that fun. for a while. And, like, I just... Yeah, I, I'd rather just be at home... Yeah, watching I mean, a movie or your brother doesn't get married very often right well so. we'll see <laughs> um is is kyle going as well yeah yeah so i mean you'll and you'll probably be the dad of the group kind of like oh 100 uh, percent. i wouldn't be surprised if i'm going to be driving someone somewhere yeah so i mean it is what it is you'll you'll God, try, to, try to have dad one. of the group yeah, it's I so mean, bad <laughs> i mean someone's got to babysit right so um not i mean usually or bachelor parties just get way too out of control but um, yeah uh, I've seen very bad things and The Hangover. Is that what's going to happen? Am I going to get like get a call from you the next day and be like, Matt, it all went to shit. <laughs> we we have a body in the trunk of our car. What do we do next? It's Ken, uh, no, it's no. I don't. To be honest, I don't really even know what we're doing because uh, Connor's best man, uh, Dan, um, is planning it all. Dan, his best Dan. Um, I think he's the only Dan Connor knows. Um, but his best Dan is planning it all. So I, I'm not sure what he has in store or what's on the itinerary. But 
I'll let everybody know on the next episode if I'm not in jail. Can't wait to hear about it. <laughs> uh, on that note, if you guys didn't know, this is the Untitled Movie Podcast. Each and every week, Eric and I get together and chat about, uh, well, our lives, what's going on in those. Bachelor as well parties. As, uh, bachelor parties. Sometimes we talk about Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Um, yeah, no, I got a text from you, and I, I laughed out loud on the go train when I got this text from you. A couple days ago where you were saying that you were eating Cinnamon Toast Crunch that you had in your office under your desk. Yeah, I hid a box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch in my drawer at work. And, and it was still in the box. We should specify yes, that. Yes, yes, It'd be amazing if you just had a drawer dedicated to Cinnamon Toast Crunch and you just pour milk in there and you start eating out of the no, drawer. No, that's disgusting. But I do need to keep a drawer full of like garbage cereals or something. You've like, become basically like George Costanza where you've made your office workspace into like your personal rest area yeah i mean it's like when it's 4 p.m and you just need some ct crunch you can just reach down and scoop a handful out of your desk and throw it into a bowl get a little unsweetened almond milk throw it in there it's delicious yeah because you don't you don't need i mean obviously you don't drink one percent or two percent but yeah you, with with that you don't need the extra sweetness with no, oh, that's already that CT crunch is going to sweeten that yeah. milk, baby. Um, but we Turn do this. Brown. We do this every week, and sometimes we do talk about movies or what you should be, should be watching at home, or what new trailers are out, or what new news, or what we've been watching. Um, so you can get this podcast each and every week, usually uh, Mondays. Last week I put it up a little bit early. You know, just always. Well, be- it's because the Raptors had just won, and and yeah. it was a good time to kind of throw it up before the week began. It was it was it was. It was nice having it up on the what the Sunday. Yeah, so maybe we'll we'll test things out and see how it goes. Um, I like that Apple Podcasts. Is, uh, I I saw some notifications pop up for it. I'm wondering what changes will be coming uh, when Apple eventually splits up their um, uh, iTunes into the three different apps. Like, uh, uh, I'm curious. But, what uh, section will we be relegated to? I think Sundays might be good because not a lot of people might be posting content on that day, and you kind of get ahead of things, right? But yeah, well, technically, is the beginning of the week. Yeah, and if we're recording on Fridays, maybe we'll test out Sundays. And usually, like, I get antsy. Like, I'll just finish editing the podcast, and then I'll just upload it. And I'm like, well, I might as well just get this up because we try to get our – I like to spread it out based on the reviews and things like that. And speaking of that, we actually do another podcast called Untitled Movie Reviews where Eric and I get together, are a little bit more professional, and we kind of sit down and review a new release film that is either uh, recently in theaters – uh, something that might be upcoming or something that's uh, dropping on streaming services. So uh, right now you guys can check out our reviews for Toy Story 4, uh, Child's, Child's Play. Play, and Yesterday. Yesterday. Um, so you guys can check those out. And then upcoming we'll have reviews for The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Midsummer, and Midsummer. Midsummer and uh, Spider-Man uh, Far From Home, which uh, we got to check on some embargoes and stuff, but I think all of those should be coming up in the next week or so. Yeah, uh, and as soon as um, you know we can release them into the wild, the wide world of the internet, we will. Yes, we will, and uh, keep it locked on our... Uh, uh, our Twitters is usually don't do we, anything else. Just dedicate your life to follow, waiting for our follow us on Twitter. Put those notifications on. Read every dumb tweet I send out at like three in the morning when I'm watching something stupid or thinking Taking something a dump. stupid. Yeah, or that. Um, but yeah, we appreciate everyone. Uh, please uh, give those a subscribe. Share them with your friends. Uh, rate us would be great. Collect the them more, all. The more ratings we get, the better we show up on those podcast uh, services. Uh, Nothing but five stars. 
yeah, no one better give us anything less, you know? Because we would never do that. We wouldn't give anything less than five stars. Yeah, this, is, um, this is us giving a five-star worthy uh, podcast. Pitch. Uh, Eric, uh, what have you been watching? Anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, I watched a couple of things. Um, kind of going off my Americana baseball nostalgia 4K watches and also talking about uh, Sam Levinson last week. Um, and his penis show, um, I decided to go back and watch the equally phallic, um, but also nostalgically wonderful, uh, The Natural with Robert Redford, um, as a baseball player who, uh, gets a late start in life in the 1930s. And a lot of people will probably, at least our age and younger, um, will remember the episode of The Simpsons when Homer, um, makes a bat out of, uh, a piece of wood from a, a tree that's been struck by lightning yeah that's what happens it, the wonder bat that's what happens in this and that's only a part of the movie um but it's really really well done it's beautifully shot um the cast includes not only redford but you have people like wilford brimley glenn close kim basinger uh richard farnsworth and robert duvall and it's just such a, an amazing uh, look at sort of wholesome America in the ni- early 1930s during the Depression era and sort of giving uh, people hope and sort of distracting them from their problems for a period of time. And the last sequence in the film is so beautifully shot and looks amazing uh, in, in 4K and is worth checking out. And if you haven't seen it, um, it just, again, like, it's one of those movies where you watch Redford and, you know, we, we talked about the old man and the gun uh, last year. That guy is so unbelievably charismatic. Like, he could tell you to fuck off and you would think is the, the most charming, charming thing yeah. ever. And he is amazing in the movie. And it's just a solid film that I think has kind of been forgotten about in terms of Barry Levinson's career. Because, I mean, after Diner, it came after Diner was 84, Diner was 80 two or one and then rain man was 88 which was the film that won him uh the directing oscar and was kind of his 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 big kind of film as a quote-unquote uh acclaimed movie i'm looking over here is this is this a fly or a yeah, wasp it's a fly it's okay a, good all right jeff goldblum is here it everybody. won't it won't hurt us but for um, summer is here yes and it's yeah it's definitely a, a fun movie and it's kind of a, it, it is kind of a good pairing with Field of Dreams with that nostalgic yeah, baseball be a good double feature, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Anything else? Yeah, so um, this will also fall into my uh, recommendation, my Blu-ray recommendation. So, killing uh, two birds with one stone here, getting two birds stoned at um, once, okay. and we need to watch this together because I love this movie. So, Scream Factory has released a new collector's edition of Night of the Creeps mm-hmm. and it's a film about you Show me this trailer. Multiple yes, times, it's I it's think. a movie that um a lot of people would compare to Slither, although James Gunn <laughs> has said that he has never seen Night of the Creeps. I call bullshit on that, Mr. Gunn. Um and there's nothing wrong with admitting that you saw it and you were inspired by it. Just fess up to it. <laughs> Um, but this film is a 1986 horror movie directed by Fred Decker, who is coming off of The Monster Squad, which is another really fun uh, 80s throwback movie that was co-written by Shane Black. Um, this is about uh, aliens uh, dumping a canister of slug-like creatures that uh, in- infestate and infiltrate a uh, prom in the 1980s and 
uh, a group of teenagers that are sort of uh, battling uh, these slug-type creatures that crawl into your mouth and take you over and turn you t- into a zombie, basically. Yeah. And then in the middle of this, you have the kind of, like, hero character played by the great Tom Atkins, who you've probably seen in Halloween 3 or The Fog. He always kind of popped up in either bit roles or sort of supporting parts, interesting supporting parts. He's kind of like the main hero that has a great sort of tagline when... Uh, the zombie dates are coming so he's like i've got good news and bad news the good news is your dates are here the bad news is they're dead um (laughs) and he has lines like you know thrill me and stuff like that and there's a whole documentary on the blu-ray that's called thrill me that goes into the making of uh uh, special features and and what have you and it's just a good time like it's a fun throwback uh motion picture that kind of plays in low budget uh horror and this was at a time as well where like naming your characters after horror movie directors was still cool right. so like everybody's last name is after a horror movie character so there's you know cronenberg romero oh really cameron <laughs> and yeah like it's but it, but again it's 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 a lot of fun there's a lot of great b movie uh practical effects there's an alternate ending um there's a lot of stuff on there that's that's great and also i mean it's just interesting hearing someone like tom atkins talk about it um, because Shane Black was on, on the set of that a lot and he was talking to him about um, his Lethal Weapon script and he originally wanted Tom Atkins to play uh, the Mel Gibson part. Oh, wow. Um, and even though he didn't get that role, he's still in the movie as kind of like um, one of the uh, the suspects who gets killed through uh, Melk, as uh, uh, an old editor of mine would say. Okay. Um, but it's it yeah it's 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 a blast it's an it's definitely an upgrade from the director's cut that was released from Sony back in 2009 so if you haven't seen this film and you really like kind of the pulpy 80s horror movies where a lot of you know uh exploding bladders and uh practical effects played in, into the film and, and sort of move the plot along you will love this movie it's it's a great time at the uh, watching it Cool. Yeah. I do want to watch it with you. We will this year. Let's do it at some point. Yeah. Even as a Halloween movie, it's great. So, yeah. So, Scream Factory is continuing to release a lot of really great genre stuff, and this is another one that I would highly recommend. Cool. Uh, on my uh, – I didn't watch too, too much. I mean, a lot of the stuff we've been watching, we've been pretty busy with screenings and stuff like that. So yeah. Lot, what we've been watching is is, is stuff – like, it's actual coverage Yeah. For so, films. like, everything that we've been watching, mostly you can check out on Untitled Movie Reviews and shameless plug. Um, but I did watch um, – most of the first episode of Too Old to Die Young, if that makes sense. Uh, it was tough to get through. I love Nicholas Vining Refn. You mean NWR? Oh, yeah. Hashtag N- NWR. <laughs> Did you see that yeah. at the beginning of the episode? Um, <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. Um, I love him. He's he. Everything oozes with style. Um, but and it pretentiousness. is. Yeah, it's very, it's very much him. It's. It's moody and silent and neon soaked and violent and disturbing. Um, uh, but I just, you need to be in a mood for him. And uh, I couldn't, I think I've heard from other people, like by episode three, there's like a, a pretty good hook that, that will get you into it. But during the first episode, I'm like, I don't know if I can sit through. 10 episodes of this and they're all like an hour to 10 an hour 10 or to an hour and a half 
episodes. Right. So this um, clearly is not a, a, a binge watch kind of situation where you can just go from one episode watch. to the next. It's just, it's so meticulously paced um, that it's hard. Like you really need to sit down and watch this show and like, and not even force yourself. That's the wrong word, but like turn off everything, pay attention and know that you're in for a, at least what I got from the first episode is a very slow burn. Um, so it's a meditation. If you, yeah, will. like I'm, I'm curious and I do want to continue watching it. I thought it looked great. It was in 4k on Amazon prime video and, uh, with HDR and like, it's stream same streaming service that has unsolved mysteries. Yeah. Um, it, it like again, I'm I'm curious. It just hasn't gotten its hooks in me yet. And uh, I mean, the Cliff Martinez score is great, and like uh, there are a ton of things there. Uh, Miles Teller is, I mean, playing that you're like again, like I said, the classic Nicholas Vining Refn like male lead character that's silent but silent. deadly. Yeah, exactly, and. Um, so yeah, I don't know, man. We'll see. Uh, are, do you you plan on watching it? Yeah, like, I mean, I it just it, it. I just need to sit down and, like you said, like just kind of really dedicate myself to it and and watch it. Where I just haven't been in that mood recently to really yeah. kind of get into another series. And I think you the, know it's going to be fucking depressing and dark. Yeah, and 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 sometimes comical as well. Oh like, yeah, stuff 100%. is sometimes so absurd that it is funny. Like especially like there are scenes in Neon Demon. Where it is so graphic and disturbing, but yet you can't help but laugh because there's no other reaction you can have in a situation like that yeah. other than to kind of have that release. And there's a lot of other people that will have a similar reaction. And yeah, like everything you're saying, like I like his the look of his films. I love Cliff Martinez's scores. I mean, like I'm not the biggest fan of only God Forgives, but I love that that soundtrack yeah, 100%, a, a lot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's weird because like with Drive, Drive is the one movie of his where I could throw on any time and kind of just enjoy it. And I don't feel he has made a movie like that since, which is just so like it's still minimalist and it's still a slow burn. And it's still but... a slow burn and it's still very stylish, but there's something about it that just moves. Yeah. And and it feels maybe that's just because of the script. And maybe because of of it has some direction, like I feel like he kind of likes to languish a little bit, almost in kind of like a um, purgatory, almost with, yeah. with his characters. And that's where you know movies like Valhalla Rising kind of start to bore me a little bit, where I feel like he gets into almost like a philosophical quandary of of quandary of like you know debating where we are in life and who we are and 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 what does violence mean and that and kind i think of stuff. this show will touch on a lot of that right and, and like especially because someone gave him 14 hours to do something yeah right? and it's it seems to me like it's pure uncut uh nwr yeah <laughs> almost as like a radio station like it's it's self-indulgent to the max right yeah. and like but hey i mean they gave him the keys to the kingdom yeah. to do it, right? So I just can't fathom who. Like, I get that people, like, his movies are tough for people to sit through. I don't know who's. going to But at least they're they're through. only you know two hours. That's what I mean. Max. Right? Who is going to like only the most diehard like people are going to make it through that show? I guarantee by like. Yeah, they'll be jumping to Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know, man. So uh, I do want to watch the rest of it, but uh, I feel like it'll be one of those shows that I keep putting off until I'm just randomly in the right mood for it. 
Because, like, even, like, that just happens with a lot of dramas that are on TV right now. Like, 100%. It took me, like, a while to get back into Better Call Saul or Fargo or, and those are even a little bit easier to watch than something like right. his style. Yeah, like, I mean, we, we, we've we been talking a lot about Barry uh, recently, but I always found, I found that. Um, oh, I love that that's all 20 to 30 minutes. Right? Yeah, and it, there's some dark stuff in there as well, obviously, in each episode, but it feels easily digestible because there are more comedic elements to it. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, at times it can go into sort of almost non sequitur um, sequences where it's almost so absurd it keeps you hooked. 100%. Um, where, yeah, like drama, like we've talked about this before with like something like Brooklyn Nine-Nine where like you could just burn through that easily and be done in a day. Um, where this, yeah, like it seems almost like a bit of a chore. Not not in like you don't want to watch it, but... But you got to like build up yourself to like... Yeah, and you have and to you be wanna dedicated get, to, yeah. to get through it. And because the plot points mean something and the emotional beats and stuff like that. Not saying that the emotional beats and things don't matter in a in a sitcom or a, or a comedy because you can get invested in those characters. It's just that... The tone is different. Yeah, right? 100%. So uh, I also finished watching Kill Bill. So I think I talked about watching part one last week. Um, uh, watched volume two. Sorry, volume one. Uh, watched volume two. Um, it's still one movie, Matt. I totally, At least QT. I agree with you. That. I've always considered it one film, and I'd prefer to watch them back to back, like as one film. If the whole bloody fair would finally fucking come out on something, I would watch. It's never going to happen now. It's got to eventually. I think once he's retired or some shit, he might go back. Well, it might it. be tied up in some uh, oh, because legal of issues. Fucking Miramax and yeah. uh, or the Weinstein Company, right? Mm-hmm. Or, no, that's still Miramax. Well, it's Miramax, but they own. Part of it, but then part I thought Miramax is well. They still have his for sale his, right now. They they do, and they've been selling it off piecemeal. But but someone wants to buy a majority stake. That's yeah, what I heard like the most the most recent rumor because Miramax used to actually be with Disney. Yeah, weirdly um, enough. So yeah, I don't know. Like like I I would be excited to see both a 4K and uh, edition of uh, Bastards and Pulp Fiction at some point. And um. It'll be cur- I think someone will scoop them up basically in the streaming wars like someone's got to be like well look at all the content Miramax had from the 90s into the 2000s right and right. like why wouldn't you want that for your streaming service if you're trying to build a library like I can't see Disney picking them back up again cuz they have all the searchlight stuff now so I- but I could see someone like a Warner or Paramount or a Or Universal. maybe the international uh, distributors even- like Universal picks up bastards because they distributed it in canada and yeah. parts of europe and what have you so yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens with miramax so yeah a lot of that shit's probably tied up in that right yeah and then the weinstein company thing is a whole other bag of shit so basically all of tarantino's old stuff is just tied up into weird yeah uh, like even reservoir stuff. dogs needs a, a an upgrade like the blu-ray that's available now is okay yeah and that movie could look better Totally agree. So uh, I still agree with you that I think the first half is superior, uh, better. But then again, when you consider it one film, then the movie is just fucking great. Like it's his most over the top, his most stylish, his most like kind of out there. And like that's why I think I r- really love it. And uh, I think it starts strong. The stuff with Michael Madsen and Daryl Hannah, I think is part the, two. You mean for volume two? two. Yeah is the best stuff in in that second half. Um, once you start getting the into... The Pai Mei stuff. And I like, like Pai Mei as well, just the look of that character. And, and um, who played how that him? Was, sh- it, was it Gordon Parks? 
I forget. Um, I'll look it up in a sec. But um, like, yeah, I think you're right. Um, but I don't like the stuff with with Michael Parks, where he's playing like the Mexican uh, drug oh, dealer, yeah. and it just kind of feels like it slows it down because he already a bit. played the sheriff. Yeah, too, right? and I don't mind having characters play actors play multiple roles, but I just feel like that role like could have been cut from the film, and it wouldn't have completely changed the movie. Um, and, and I like his. Jaime was played by Gordon Liu. Gordon Liu. Gordon Liu. So I put Michael Parks and and Gordon <laughs> Liu together. But I like Gordon Liu a lot. And Gordon Liu was um, in one of the in one of the original Shaw Brothers movies faced a version of Pai Mei. So uh, yeah, it, it all well, comes it's just full like Hattori Hanzo being yeah, in well, it yeah, Sonny well, Chiba, right? right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I again, I, I think it's uh. I and I don't like I don't like, like David Carradine to me is is better as a presence than a performance. Yeah, as like Bill. in the first movie where he is a presence. More yeah, so. like he is kind of like the Blofeld of Kill Bill, right? Or I Mr. Almost, Claw, as you told me, like in expect Inspector yeah, Gadget. That's right? what, yeah, which is just riffing off. But I mean, that's what Tarantino does too, right? But right. We were talking about that last week. Um, I do like the reveal of him, like I guess. Carradine at the church, but I almost would have even preferred that reveal to be saved until the that very last sequence, even though I do agree with you that that last sequence and the monologues kind of go on a little bit too long. Yeah, like when he gets into a Superman story yeah. and like how Superman's the only superhero that disguises himself yeah. as a human. I don't mind of a... it, but like that conversation's almost like I, I remember pausing the movie when she finally gets to Bill's home and um there was like 40 minutes left in the movie. And right. I'm like, oh, Even God. the reveal of her name isn't really like all that oh, with the, interesting. I think that's more just a style over substance thing, like bleeping it out in the first volume and then having the reveal in the second one where it does the flash to this school and then it's just Uma Thurman there and stuff like that. I don't – there's nothing – that feels weird because it's not like it means anything to us, right. the audience. No, like, it doesn't. So why – do that just like yeah it would be like revealing clint eastwood's name in in uh the good the bad and the ugly series and giving him a name in you know a fistful of dollars or for a few dollars if it was some weird meta reference to like another one of his films or something or like you know how some characters are connected to each other or something like that like a that would be cheap maybe but like and maybe too meta but i just don't understand the the bleeping out of it because maybe they wanted it to be the bride and part of the weird kind of, I guess, mystery behind the character. But um, Yeah, and I, I mean, it is technically, like, I mean, it is a, a slower-paced half than Volume 1, and, and it's intentionally so. Um, Tarantino has already always said that it's the East meets the West, and the East is Volume 1, and the West is the second half, where it is you know, that classic Western building to the final confrontation, but the final confrontation itself is so drawn out that by the time you get to the five palm exploding heart technique, which is a great moment. And I love that music cue of, you know, Morricone. Yeah. But it just feels like, Oh, it took that long to get there. Um, I do like how long the film is and how long her journey goes to finally get to Bill. And yeah, how and, and, and as the out, list yeah. as well, right? And I do love the nonlinear like, editing and, and how the stories all fit together is actually, I think, quite like genius of that like what i give the film credit for and what i give tarantino credit for is like no matter that you knew 
Oren Ishii or um, uh, the rest of the the list it, were like killed off. Like you knew that, but then well, other than Daryl Hannah, yeah, right. <laughs> but question then mark. You still, I still feel like there's it still builds tension really well, and each sequence is still thrilling, even though you know the end result, which I think is a testament to his storytelling and like one reason why. I just I I just I really do love Kill Bill. I think you I it depends on the day. Like I, I do consider it like either my favorite or it's up there. Um, I still like, I'm with you. I love bastards. I, I, I could put bastards weirdly. I could put on any time and just sit through the entire thing. Yeah. Um, I could, I could and, probably watch, like I remember the first time seeing it and um, after watching it, I was like, I could watch this again. Yeah. And right I, now. I absolutely love bastards. Kill. I, I mean, I love mostly everything, but uh, that he's done, but bastards and kill bill are up there. Um, Pulp fiction is, is, is another easy one that yeah. you can throw on that. Like, um, I think are, are like I feel fantastic. there are, there are eras of Tarantino now. I think Pulp Fiction is kind of the definitive era for the beginning of his career. Bastards is the kind of like him going like Kill Bill, obviously as well. But Bastards feels like this is him doing his fantasy genre stuff, and and I don't know if his last two movies will maybe sort of do something different or if they'll or if they'll just kind of stick with kind of the genre stuff specifically like he's always talked about the idea that his characters from Jackie Brown and uh, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction would go and see uh, at the drive-in movies and the movies that would be playing would be Kill Bill and Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained yeah there you can tell even the way the movies are structured and his style of them he calls what one the realer than real universe and then the movie within a movie yeah like, kind of universe and like you can just tell by the way the characters act or the camera movements and how those movies are set up of one is a little bit more grounded and like you said one is kind of in that fantasy realm right even though like i mean even with the ending of bastards obviously and like uh and all of the heightened reality of kill bill yeah um, and django as and well django and, yeah. like the whole last act of django and the absurdity of it all yeah they are very much movies right like it's not trying to be set in reality where something like a pulp fiction or reservoir Dogs yeah is. although i mean i guess you could say that both hateful eight and from what i've heard of once upon a time in hollywood is i don't want to say necessarily he's repeating himself although i mean he does have themes and and visuals like any filmmaker and obsessions that come up time and time again but it almost feels like you know Hateful Eight was a remake of Reservoir Dogs, and from what everybody's yeah. been saying about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, even fiction. him is Pulp Fiction. Yeah, so um, it's it's kind of interesting there. What and goes then, around comes around. Exactly right. Um, yeah, I remember reading the script to Hateful Eight when it leaked because I'm a bad boy. <laughs> um, I read that whole thing, and I. I was hesitant to do that because obviously I didn't want to spoil the experience, but I'm like, ooh, I have access to this. I got to do it. So I sat down and read the whole thing, which I think is the last full script that I read. I remember reading the Deadpool script way back in the day when Rhett Reese and Paul, whatever the fuck his name is, wrote it. I remember reading that as well. But Hateful Eight, and then I remember talking to you about that that alternate ending that was more like Reservoir Dogs than what the actual ending the, like the original script man is just Reservoir Dogs, right? Essentially, like it's the same ending. It's 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 it was interesting. I, I mean, I didn't mind that, but it was just uh, you just call you, you call it what it is. Yeah, yeah, it was it was just funny, and yeah, I've heard that this is Pulp Fiction, so 
will his last film be Jackie Brown or Kill Bill or we'll see. See, I mean, he has like I'd say probably his most like Jackie Brown is probably again like one of his more grounded movies, but it's probably also the one that kind of is the outsider of the group. But I would also say maybe even Death Proof as well a little yep. bit where like De- Jackie Brown, Death Proof, and Hateful Eight are the movies that are kind of the films that are the most divisive of his career so far where like there are strong passionate supporters but then like even some like diehard Tarantino fans might not accept them as much compared to others yeah and i i would be in that crowd right like right. i i i think Jackie Brown and Death Proof are the ones i find myself almost struggling to like want to watch again not that I don't like them. It's just like I'd prefer to be watching any of the other ones. Right. And Hateful Eight is that one that I've only really seen the like the one or two times. I'm still really curious of trying to get on that U.S. Netflix account to watch the miniseries version of it. Just I'd be curious of what the opening titles are and how the credits are and like right. that stuff would interest me. So maybe let's try and check that out after we should. this and like and we'll talk about it next week or something. Um, just to watch like how he structured that because that would be really interesting. Will we um, get to see uh, Damien Bashir uh, plucking that chicken the way that he did in the uh, Roadshow edition? I, I believe you will. Um, nice. Nice. And then I watched a couple comedies. Um, I I watched Anchorman, and this was the first time I've done this in a very long time because it was on TV, and, like, I was lying on the couch kind of, like, half asleep. Uh, It must have been either, like, AMC or... So it was edited for content? No. Well, no, because Anchorman's a PG-13 movie. Um, It's not... Well, the line, uh, go fuck yourself, San Diego? Yeah, maybe that, that, but maybe it was bleeped or something. But, like, I... I was like half asleep. Go fuck yourself. I was like half asleep watching it, but I love Anchorman. So right. It's another one. So I also watched Happy Gilmore. And then um, those are two like comfort food movies for me where I can throw them on like a, a lazy Sunday or a lazy afternoon and just kind of have them on as I'm either doing other things or I'm just kind of being lazy. And SNL uh, alumnus. Yeah, 100%. Movies. A lot of those. Like, and Zoolander is another one of those movies. And um um, and there's a ton of them that are just kind of those like crude, very dumb, high comedies. concept comedies. Yeah, and uh, but I I really enjoy both of them. Very nostal for nostalgic reasons, like being a either a very young kid or a teenager seeing them. And um, but they I don't know. I still think both of them hold up. Like uh, we were talking right before the show and like Happy Gilmore. I just like I still think is like a genuinely solid movie as dumb as it is. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's it's a it is a stupid movie. But at the same time, like you're saying, like there's a certain amount of nostalgia with it because we grew up with it. But also it feels like this was when Adam Sandler was truly in his in his wheelhouse in his heyday. And he gave and, a shit. <laughs> and he, yeah. Yeah. Like he wasn't wearing track pants to set. Um, that kind of thing. Um, and, and, you know, like he was actually having fun with the role and, um, he wasn't inviting all of his friends necessarily or everybody that he met 
along the way into the movie because he wasn't, you know, that well connected at that point. Like, I feel like anytime he works with somebody or he meets somebody on the comedy circuit, he invites them into the next movie, whether it be Vanilla Ice or Nick Swartzen or... Yeah, yeah, and and now with the... I, I think Netflix is the perfect place for him because you don't have to, you know, drive out of your way to go and see that film at the theater. You can just watch it at home and that's kind of where those movies belong now. But yeah, like Happy Gilmore, like just... You know, the idea of, uh, you know, an aspiring hockey player turning into a golf star and, you know, being taught by Carl Weathers and, uh, you know, like him trying to figure it out. Like, I, I even love, like, the weird, like, romance between him and um, uh, Julie Bowman. Yeah. Who, uh, like, that, that one scene when they're in the hockey rink and they play Endless Love. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you great. see the Zamboni guy singing it in the yeah. background. Like, it's just weird little stuff like that is, is a lot of fun. A hundred percent. And um, the Bob Barker stuff is great. Uh, we were talking about that and just the weird uh, his happy place and things like that is just it cracked me up. Chubbs is amazing. And, and Richard um, uh, Shooter McGavin, Shooter McGavin, Chris McDonald yeah. uh, and then Richard uh, uh, Keel as his old boss, who was um, Jaws. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> Uh, the uh, James Bond movies. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's great. He's got the nail. I'll the see you <laughs> in the parking lot. <laughs> Even that, yeah, jackass. Oh yeah, Joe Flaherty Joe from Flaherty, SCTV. Yeah. yeah, good shit, man. I, I I love Happy Gilmore, and then Anchorman's classic. Not much else yeah. to say about that. I love Lamp. <laughs> God. <laughs> Anchorman two, not so great. No, but I mean that that one sequence where they're all having the fight out in the in the parking oh my lot God, is amazing. Is amazing, dude! It's so good. Nothing will ever beat that. With all the cameos that come in that scene and how absurd it is. I mean, technically, Steve Carell is the original Aquaman. He killed somebody yeah, with, with a trident. trident. Yeah, he had to go lay low for a little while. Um, Eric, now for staying at home. You already talked about Night in the Creeps. Night right? of the Creeps. Night yeah. in the Creeps. Night, Night of, of the, the Creeps. creeps. Uh, I got some digital picks for you guys on um, the iTunes store here in Canada. Always 4K picks, which is usually what I go for. Uh, something you should absolutely own if you don't yet. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Probably my favorite film of last year. I, I teeter between that and Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, I think what will hold up... I mean, they're both going to hold up for a very long time but spider-verse is just something special so uh ten dollars right now you can get spider-man into the spider-verse uh in 4k on itunes in canada it's a um, 4k cutie it is man it's so fucking good uh then a couple other picks um uh divisive but your uh last year's best picture winner green book is in 4k for ten dollars on itunes uh, See that pizza folding in the highest quality um, possible. Yeah, <laughs> you need that gut in 4K. Um, Eric and I both kind of uh, uh, enjoyed it. Uh, again, performances are good. Yeah, I love the performances and the chemistry between Mahershala Ali and Viggo Mortensen. Is it a Best Picture winner? Uh, yeah, we both probably uh, don't agree with that, but we both did. Like, Nick Vellalongo kind of ruin the enjoyment of the movie a little. Yeah. yeah. Did a lot of people involved in that movie kind of ruin yeah. it? Yeah, but um, it's but good. not Mahershala Ali. No, God bless him. Uh, a movie that I think kind of um, got the short end of the stick last 
festival and Oscar season, uh, Boy Erased uh, is $10 in 4K on uh, the iTunes store. A movie bo- you and I really liked yeah, it, Yeah, it's good. Um, uh, again, haven't thought of it much since then, and I guess that's part of the problem, and not very many people it's very to see subtle it. it's it's a yeah. very quiet movie like there there are big moments in there but it's not as showy as i think that it was anticipated and like i remember when it was first announced and focus features bought the rights during a bidding war everybody was like this is going to be you know a, a, an oscar contender and then it kind of came and went right yeah. like and it was released late october early november and, I mean, the performances are all great. I think Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe specifically are excellent. Um, but, yeah, it just unfortunately never caught on. And I think it's a topic as, uh, that people need to be talking more about, especially with, you know, someone like Mike Pence in the White House and being controlling and sort of, you know, uh, believing in gay uh, conversion therapy camps and the horrors of what those are and what that is yeah and you brought up a good word horror and i think both you and i kind of compared elements of that movie to like a horror film at times and i thought that was really powerful and i yeah i I really i think it's great and i for ten dollars i mean uh you guys should pick it up and then finally um a movie i really love again sort of divisive um jackie is available in 4k for seven dollars um, a really interestingly, uh, it's shot on 16 millimeter yep, and super 16. Got, yeah. An interesting aspect ratio, not quite, uh, one-to-one square, but, um, kind of that taller sort of IMAX aspect ratio. Yeah. Um, it's not, obviously it's shot in 16 mil, not IMAX. But it's also but, interesting um, because they're doing that, but it's also an intimate portrait where a lot of the film is in either close-up or, or medium shot. Yeah, and I just... Uh, produced by Darren Aronofsky, um, directed by... Pablo Lorraine. Pablo Lorraine, and uh, a great performance by Natalie Portman. Uh, I mean, some people would disagree with that. I do think she's a great actress, and I think she's great in this movie. And really great supporting um, cast, too. You have Greta Gerwig, yeah. you have... Um, Oh, what, why am I forgetting his name? Richard E. Grant is in there. Uh, Peter Skarsgård. Like it's it's a, it's a really good cast. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, oh, the late great John Hurt too. Yep, and yeah. I think it's a just a really interesting way of tackling that subject. And I think or in biopics in general, a, the score is amazing. Yeah, Mika too. Levy's score is incredible. Um, but yeah, and, and sort of looking Almost at plays the, like a horror film again. Right. <laughs> like, well, it's unsettling at times, and and. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting to sort of handle a biopic in such a very sort of specific and and vacuum kind of way where it's, you know, focused on one sort of key event and sort of the fallout of that and sort of building or creating your own legacy or, or what's left of that legacy and sort of being in control of it. Um, the stuff with um, Portman and uh, Billy Crudup in, as the life uh, magazine uh, reporter and sort of how they she is shaping her own um, legend, so to speak. And, and I think that stuff is really interesting. Yeah, 100% agree. All right, moving on to talking trailers. Uh, not that many trailers this week. Nope. I thought because of Toy Story we would have gotten something, but I guess we got Onward a week or two ago, right? Right. And, then, and I'm sure, um, like, coming up we'll get stuff for, you know, Charlie's Angels with uh, Spider-Man and um, there'll be something. There, I There's mean, a there, couple other things. We'll get. Yeah. We're getting into that with Lion King coming and Spider-Man and, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, we'll like get, you'll get a lot of the fall stuff starting to pop up and 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 trip 
uh, clips, trailers, yeah. and and first photos and stuff like that. Interesting experience at Toy Story Four yesterday. I mean, you guys can check out our, our actual review, but here's just my little quip about going to see it in VIP. Um, which was amazing because um, no children. <laughs> and you drank beer. Uh, I had a very large pitcher of beer. I had a poutine. Um, well, perfect. And, I mean, because of uh, Duke Kaboom, right? Yeah, Duke Kaboom and Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I had a poutine and uh, like three beers kind of. And then uh, uh, the... The audience was actually quite respectful because it was opening night and you paid fucking $26 a ticket for this fucking thing. And then the trailers were really interesting because you got trailers for Trolls and you got trailers for Onward. Talking trailers. Um, trolls. Yeah that's, yeah, that's why I'm bringing it up in this segment. Um, but then weirdly, because it was in VIP, you got the Child's Play trailer. <laughs> Which was fitting, I thought. I think they are literally trolling um, uh, And the Once Upon Disney. a Time in Hollywood R-rated trailer. I'm like, this is fucking weird. Like, the new one or, or, or the first one? The new one, I think. I forget. They're both pretty similar. Yeah. Um, well, the, I think the original one has DiCaprio at the end saying that, Rick it was that one. fucking Dalton. Yeah, it was that yeah. one. Um, so that was... Uh, uh, it was just interesting because I guess they know it's a 19 plus screening, right? But it still was weird seeing that right before seeing Toy Story. Right. Um, a trailer we did not see, but we will talk about right now, is Disney's Ready or Not. <laughs> Sorry, Fox <laughs> Fox Searchlights, uh, Ready or Not. Uh, we watched the Red Band trailer uh, earlier this week. Um, I do think, like I made a joke, but I think it is bizarre that Disney is distributing a movie like this. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, they they inherited it. They didn't purchase it or produce it. But um, Fox Searchlight being a Disney brand now, and then this trailer, I'm like, oh my god, okay, this isn't <laughs> the newest Disney princess. That's gonna be a joke that's going to get very old on many R-rated films. Right. Uh, what do you think of the trailer? I kind of enjoyed it. I just wish that um, it wasn't an R-rated trailer because I feel like some of the, like a comedy, some of the best kills and and instead of laughs were spoiled, yeah. were spoiled and and i mean a lot or of people some, have even already, the, the gore and the violence yeah spoiled, and right? and some people have compared it already to you know mixing clue and uh your next yeah but the interesting idea i think in this trailer is that you see a family that is trying to go through with a ritual that they're not very good at doing and i think that's where the dark comedy will come into play yeah it reminded me of your next and even a little cabin in the woods in that horror comedy kind of earth like meta humor a little right bit. yeah and 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 i mean it looks like it's going to be a fun time it was shot in and around toronto there's a lot of canadian actors in the movie um one guy from uh orphan black uh christian brew there's mark o'brien who is in uh arrival and uh the terry uh Oh, what's that hockey player, that goalie, uh, Swachuk? Terry Swachuk? Yeah, so uh, called goalie. He was also an arrival. Um, Yeah, so I'm I'm curious about it, and it's also from the guys, the Radio Silence guys who uh, worked on the VHS anthology uh, films. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. (laughs) Um, They're not my favorite filmmakers, but they're kind of grouped in with, like, Adam Wingard and stuff like that, so maybe given a chance to work on material that isn't an anthology film, it'll be a fun time. It's opening at the, what, the end of August? Yeah. 
I mean, this would probably have made a really good Midnight Madness movie. It would have, but alas, we're not. It's interesting that Searchlight's distributing this to me. Like, um, uh, yeah, I, I I was into it. I like the trailer a lot. I agree with you that the red band probably gives away a little bit too much, but I understand why they put out a red band. There is a green band version of the trailer, right? Um, but I haven't watched that yet. Well, I hope so the I red band trailer just plays in front of Toy Story Four for the yeah. kids. <laughs> yeah, right? someone accidentally plays that. Oh my good lord! Uh, I started showing it. Nevis doesn't like gory movies at all, um, and I had it on in like when the trailer dropped or that evening or something like that. And I stopped it because that first kill, I was like, Oh God, okay. We, right. You don't want to watch this. Right and that now. seems like it's going to be an ongoing joke where it's like, they keep killing maids instead of the yeah. person that they're targeting. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm into it, man. I, again, I love, I, your next, I was not in the right mindset for when I first saw it because I think they really, I mean, when you see things at Midnight Madness and at TIFF, sometimes you go in completely blind or you go in off of a synopsis, like a one-line synopsis. Right, or a photo. Yeah, so I didn't know going into Your Next that it was a horror comedy. Right. And, or a satire, even. And then, like, I went in thinking it was going to be a pretty standard home invasion movie. And even though I think it's better than that, I was disappointed in my first watch because it was, I was not in the mindset or the mood for that type of movie so i kind of it's like when you're when you're eating something and you you don't know exactly what it is but your brain tells you or it says like oh this is what it's kind of going to be like and then you taste it and instead of it tasting like say you think it's going to be savory and then it's sweet and it's like your brain doesn't process right and now that's how i reacted to your next it was jarring and i was like this is stupid. And then I went back and rewatched it and I thought it was great. Yeah. So. It's, it's, it's amazing. And I like when it becomes basically home alone and you know, the, the, the killers bite off more than they can chew because they didn't realize that one of the people is actually we'll like fucking a, murder. You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a, a trained, uh, soldier basically. Yeah. Your and, next is great. So then if this yeah. is even close to that, I'm a hundred percent in. Uh, same, same. And again, like I really liked, uh, Adam Wingard's, uh, kind of first two movies that kind of played with genre tonally with both Your Next and The Guest. Oh my god, I love The Guest, man. I love it so much. It's become like an October staple for oh, me. Oh, it's so too. good. It's amazing. Like, um, whatever Dan Stevens does for the rest of his career, like, that'll be the movie I always, like, hold everything else to. Yeah, totally agree. All right, and that's it for trailer talk or yeah. talking trailers, whatever the hell we call this. Um, Talking trailers is what we call it. Uh, you want to get into some news? You put the news together today. So I this did. is I, I'm going in blind, baby. I have no idea. I've been so off the well, grid. Well, click that link and um, see what we get. I, I've been sort of off the grid. Like, I don't nearly pay attention as much as I used to when it comes to uh, uh, news. Uh, open link. So the first uh, piece of news we have, you popped in here. So an exclusive over at Collider. Um, So here is who is being eyed to star in Stephen King's The Stand at CBS All Access, which will be directed by Josh Boone, who you guys might know from uh, The Fault in Our Stars. And uh, did he do Paper Towns? Right. He didn't do New Mutants, right? He did. Yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, and actually one of the actors from New Mutants is up for a role in, in, okay. in this series. So I will list out who they're looking for uh, for uh, The Stand. So uh, James Marsden, 
uh, as Stu Redman. As Stu Redman. Amber Heard. Yeah. As Nadine Cross. She's the one. That character is the one that kind of becomes entangled with Randall Flagg. Yeah. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg as Mother Abigail. Yeah, originally played by uh, Ruby D in the terrible TV miniseries. Uh, Greg Kinnear as Glenn Bateman. Um, Odessa Young as Franny Goldsmith. It's got to be better than the last thing she was in. Remember Assassination uh, yeah. Nation? Uh, which we shit talked last week as well. Uh, Henry Zaga, who is from the New Mutants, yep. as you mentioned, uh, as Nick Andros. Originally played by Rob Lowe in that TV miniseries. Oh, wow. And uh, that's it for now. Um, I'm curious about this because, like, I... It's st- a sprawling cast. Like, there's a yeah, lot... Yeah, there'll be tons of people. Yeah. Uh, like, Randall Flagg is, gonna, I think, going to be one of the most interesting because I liked, out of that... Like, how uh, do you... That miniseries? Like, the person that would have been perfect for it would have been Matthew McConaughey because it's kind of like a, a, a southern gentleman role with a very dark... Uh, inner goal and and like I mean but he because is basic, of Dark Tower do you think that ruins that yeah he's basically and McConaughey is not going to do an all he access he did play minis. Randall Flagg in Dark Tower right a version of him yeah. but not exactly like right. they never called him Randall Flagg the they called him the man, man in black. black right yeah um, but Randall Flagg is Randall Flagg like he's always been known as Randall Flagg and Randall Flagg for people that don't know in the Stephen King Universe. canon is the devil uh, basically, and when the world after this horrible flu-like epidemic wipes out half of the human population, is divided into two sections. One is the you know the society of people that want to do what's right and maintain order and try to move on and and keep things going, and then the other half, which is led by Randall Flagg. Um, which they all go to Vegas is the hedonistic, dark, impulsive side. This I can't believe I haven't read the stand. It's a great book. I feel like it's, it's just something I would love. So long. Yeah. Um. Like it, it. I remember loving it in high school, and it took me forever to get through. But it, I like. I was still glued to it, and it's yeah. Like you would love it. Like it seems exactly a, a thing that I would like. Like I'm like, sure that people like Damon Lindelof were inspired for a buy it when they were doing when they were creating lost like it's one of those kind of books where it's sprawling and i think they're going to be doing 10 episodes yeah where the original uh movie adaptation like it was only two halves and i think they were about like two and a half hours each right but um, this has enough source material where 10 episodes probably makes sense. oh 100 percent. like you you can get into the nitty-gritty of it but i mean i'm sure they'll still cut out a lot of really stupid stuff that king kind of puts in that maybe will be connected to um his other universe stuff like i always said like uh there's a, a subplot in cujo where the kid imagines uh or sees the spirit of one of the characters from the dead zone. And I'm like, you don't, you don't need that in the movie. And they didn't put that in. the <laughs> Yeah, film, I know. Cause so. again, cause he usually sells the rights to his books to multiple different studios. And yeah. Things, right. So I never know how some of that stuff works or even how in uh, castle rock, how they're able to kind of basically utilize elements from all of them. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for this. I started reading, they did a graphic novel, novel adaptation of the stand. Mm-hmm. So multiple graphic novels that adapted the, the book. And I really liked it. I just, um, I kind of fell out of it after I started getting them from the library way back in the day. And, uh, much like I did with invincible earlier this year. Um, I think I read the first maybe volume or two, um, 
I would like to go back and either now that the show is coming, I'm like, do I just wait now for that? It's and a like, great. It's it's an amazing book. It's probably for me my favorite Stephen King uh, book overall. Um, I mean, I like the Night Shift collection a lot, but um, in terms of like a quintessential work from him, I would say that The Stand is tops for me in terms of you know what he is capable of doing, and he doesn't like. Like, there's some stuff in there that you could... I, I know people will... It'll be interesting to see how they handle the end. I don't want to spoil it for you, but, yeah. like, in the book and in the movie... Or in the miniseries, the original miniseries, that was the one thing that was kind of, like... He doesn't know how to end things well. Fair. And I wonder if they'll rework it because it is very ridiculous. But okay. it works better in the book than it does as a visual sort of abstract idea. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I'm excited for it. We'll yeah. see. It's supposed to come next year? Probably. Year It'll take some time, but it's it's a great story, and if you haven't read the book and you're interested, I highly recommend it. I'm glad it's finally happening because it's been in development hell for Yeah, because they were going to do it as a two-part movie like the way that they did um, It, but I think you'd need to make it into three films at least because the like the book is like... I'm, I'm showing Matt oh, how big yeah. the book is. No, I remember, yeah. Um, and and the story is so dense with so many characters that I think that a series lends itself better to it. Although I mean, I would have loved to have seen you know the stand on the big screen. Yeah, which you might still be able to. Who yeah. Knows? The only question mark I really have here is just like, how is Josh Boone gonna? He's been attached to this forever, this? too, yeah. hasn't he? Like, well, I... no, this has gone through different people though, as really? well. Because at one point, Ben Affleck was gonna direct this right. as a film at Warner Brothers. Yeah. Um, and I think there was somebody else who was originally attached to it as well. Like, it, it's gone through hands because people didn't know how to uh, approach it. Mm -hmm. It was just like. Do we make it into one movie? Like try to put everything into three hours? We saw how that worked with Dark Tower. <laughs> right. And it just, it didn't work. And like even with something like Dune, like Denny is smart enough to say like, no, we can't make one movie. Like we could, but we'll be doing, um, you know, fans and ourselves a disservice yeah. and sort of dividing it into two parts because like they needed to do that. They just couldn't cram everything into one movie. And you can't, even with a three hour film, the stand still would be missing a lot of stuff 100 percent. i'm excited for it um our next piece of news um transparent creator jill soloway uh is going to be replacing uh dirtbag brian singer on red sonia finally millennium came to like, their senses yeah. remember even after remember the allegations like, no we we stand by him and he's going to be directing it and then after basically when all the bohemian rhapsody stuff started coming out and now even more recently the the X-Men stuff. Yeah, like him leaving the set halfway through production and people like Simon Kinberg having to take pick up the slack. And that was probably the thing that did it. It probably wasn't the allegations or or, or the sexual misconduct uh, articles that were written about him. It was probably the studio being like, this guy's just an incompetent filmmaker. Fuck that guy. I know. And, um, I mean, hopefully Jill Soloway does a good, good job, and I'm sure she will. Yeah, and, like, I've never been a big fan of... It's based on a comic book, right? Yeah, because I've I've seen the movie with uh, Bridget Nielsen or Brigitte Nielsen uh, from the eighties and Schwarzenegger's in it because it was a spinoff of Conan. Um, but I was never like the biggest fan. I of can't it. see this. And no, Robert Rodriguez was supposed to make this a, a, a while ago with um, Rose McGowan. I remember after Grindhouse, there were rumors that they were gonna make that movie. Yeah, I could I could have seen that, but like Millennium Films, no offense to them, but their stuff always feels like B or C tier stuff. Is that 
Yeah, no, I'm just I... looking at you funny because I'm like, are you going to really shit talk the, the house that brought you uh, Olympus Has Fallen? I mean, I will still shit talk Olympus Has Fallen. I love Olympus Has Fallen, but like they are B-movies. Oh, 100%. Even, like everything they make but is But Red Sonja is kind of a B-level well, that's what I mean, character, so, yeah. right? So just it, those are the types of movies that they make. And like none of the films they make ever make a lot of money, but I guess they're made for fairly cheap when it comes to right. like well that's why they've like, been able to make all those fallen films but they but those movies make money um quite a bit of money comparatively to the other that's uh, what i projects mean no, th- that that's why done. there's three of them yeah. right well, i don't think and expendables i guess is the other thing that was mildly successful for them but i right. can't really name another one on top of that most of it's like Almost borderline directed DVD kind direct of stuff. video yeah. streaming service quality films. Yeah, they tried to pick up stuff here and there. Like I remember they picked up that mediocre Michael Shannon uh, Hitman movie, The Iceman, a while ago, oh, and right. that wasn't not great a, either. Not a very but, good movie. but they were trying to maybe kind of branch out a little bit with more artistically. Even when their logo pops genre. up, it just looks cheap. Right. Uh, like oh, you know what? Uh, Hitman's Bodyguard wasn't that partly theirs yeah again but that did well that sure. did really well i'm not saying that yeah that did that's why they're making a sequel right? yeah the like, wife's hitman's body but they always just feel like fake movies that's what i'm trying to say right like, no 100 percent. like it's i mean we made the joke before but it's like in funny people when you see like the adam sandler comedies they're kind of like these would be the action equivalent or like in last action hero when you see like the films that are in the video store in the yeah, the fake world of the last action hero in L.A. Like those would be the movies that would be available to rent. One hundred percent. So I don't know. I have no interest in this. Uh, I hope Jill Soloway does a good job. It's a much better choice than Brian Singer. But it's also interesting uh, to someone like her who has created this, you know, Amazon series and also tried to um, produce another one called I Love Dick with with uh, uh, Kevin Bacon and uh, Catherine Hahn. So. You know they're they're going with kind of a more indie filmmaker than they are like a big budget. Like it's it is a vast difference in terms of you know the type of filmmaker that was originally going to do this versus who they've chosen. Yeah, but it's the Marvel way too, right? Like I right. guess I think more and more studios, and I guess it's both smart because they're probably cheaper. Um, like that's why Marvel scoops up a lot of like indie directors and gives them a shot too right so yeah. even though it's nothing like what but that's a well-oiled machine at 100%, this point where right I don't where think red sonja is... yeah like red Sonya, like this is like a like a starter project at I, this point yeah like taika waititi going into ragnarok has a lot of help from people who have made big well, i'm sure jill soloway will too but there'll be more on the yeah, we'll see. I have I have literally no interest. But I don't either. I just thought it was really an interesting news story. Just with I agree. who you're going with, and yeah, and fuck Brian Singer. Yeah. So. Anytime we can say that, we'll yeah. we will. Uh, Marvel's Black Widow movie that they still have not officially announced uh, has added uh, Ray Winstone to uh, join Scarlett Johansson and David Harbour and Florence Pugh, and. Uh, uh, Did you say one? Rachel Vice? Rachel Vice, directed by Kate Shortland. Uh, we still don't have a release date or an official. Well, there are two release dates for next year that are we Marvel movies, which we think will be uh, Black Widow and the Eternals. Yeah, uh, but we haven't got official confirmation. But Kevin Feige has even started to answer questions during the Spider-Man press tour 
for these movies. So it's like it's a little bit of a weird situation. I think um, I think what's ha- what's going to happen here is that he's they're they're going to announce some stuff at Comic Con or D twenty three or D twenty three or maybe even after the first week or so of Spider 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 Man uh, in the theater. Yeah, which is usually what we've seen. Like usually a week after, a week or two after their, uh, um, their big releases. Well, look with Endgame with with the the marketing for Far yeah. From Home, right? Yeah. Like they, it's spoiler heavy. It's usually two weeks because it was like two weeks after Captain Marvel, I believe, or one yeah. week, one week where we got Endgame stuff, and then they're taking the total recall route. Yeah. two weeks. Yeah, and then two weeks after Endgame, we got some Spider Man stuff that spoiled some stuff in Endgame. So maybe. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see Spider-Man next week, and I'm excited to see how it plays into what, like, this is the end of Phase 3, as I use air quotes, right? And, right. Uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get excited again, because, like, I didn't think after Endgame I needed another Marvel movie, but, like, Spider-Man Homecoming is one of my favorite MCU movies, and I almost keep forgetting that we're getting Far From Home next week. Like, I don't or we're seeing it because it isn't yeah. open. Oh, sorry, for, yeah, yeah. I, but we're seeing it next week. But it's only like two weeks away, right? Right, not even um, really, right? Yeah, like it's barely. opening on the second. Oh, it's a weird. It's coming out on a Tuesday. It's yeah. coming out on July second, uh, which is weird for us in Canada because we have a long weekend that weekend for Canada Day, where the long weekend in the U.S. is the weekend after. Right. Um, so it's one of those weird things, like. Uh, I almost wish it was one day earlier because we're off that Monday. Like, but, but then that would be even strange. Having like, I understand the lo- the logic behind that, but like, even but having even a movie coming released out on, on a, a Tuesday Monday, is weird. Well, like, it should be Wednesday or Friday, right? Because yeah. that's usually like Annabelle comes home is opening on a Wednesday. So like, I mean, but I remember with the Star Wars films, like the prequels would sometimes open on a Thursday. And this was before the preview screenings, right? right? And, then, and the reason for that was either the date of the original movie's opening or it was George Lucas's birthday. Okay, fair. Um, but there are no early showings of Spider-Man because of the weird day it's coming out. Like, it's coming out on the Tuesday, but there are no Monday night screenings of it. So the the earliest you would see it would be the morning on the Tuesday, right? Right. So it's just it, – it's, it's an interesting – I don't know. They're like an extra, extra long weekend. Because, yeah, usually you would just get them on the Wednesdays. But I don't know. Yeah, and they could call it Wednesday Web Day. Like, Ooh, what a... What hey-o. A... Uh, Black Widow, Ray Winstone, we got I like track. Ray Winstone yeah. a lot. Uh, Sexy Beast is great. Um, he was excellent as Mr. French in uh, The Departed. Um, so he'll... You sent me a great article saying uh, someone... Or Kevin Feige. It was Kevin this, Feige, yeah, yeah. Said that this is like the Better Call Saul of the uh, MCU, where it's going to kind of... Which re- is curious, because, you know, spoiler alert, Saul is alive. It, or, or the story of, of Better Call Saul, right, is in the past and present, and it kind of so jumps back and so forth. So are we going to get something like that? Is that what you think he means? Or do you think he means more so like... It's going to reveal things that we didn't know. Well, that, I like, think I think Spider-Man: Far From Home is going to maybe reveal things because I've heard that there are two end credit sequences that are supposed to help set up Phase yeah. Four or sort of go in a direction that everybody will be excited about, and maybe that's going to be 
the leaping off point for what Black Widow will be. But it's like I was laughing. It's like, what are they going to do for the present? They're just going to show like her still lying on the ground. Oh, like, shit. Yeah, she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. Uh, oh, my bad. If, so, if Spoiler. Spoiled it. Um, but I mean, Endgame's been out for enough now. Did you also see the news that they're re-releasing it? They want to pass Avatar so bad. It's not going to happen. All they're doing is putting seven minutes of like special features <laughs> after yeah. the credits. And I mean, they like, might as well just do like, remember Disney and Pixar would sometimes re-release their animated stuff with bloopers? Yeah. And well, that's kind of what they're doing. Right. There, right? But, it's, like, but it's additional scenes within the film. Like, it's not like post like but it is during- also like a tribute to stan lee i think is right the one thing so it's just like dvd special features that they're gonna be kind of I- i'll be curious because how how much do they have to make up to pass avatar i don't know it's like I, I, I think dollars yeah and like i i mean people will go like the diehard fans will go and see it but i think everybody that has wanted to see it has seen it at least once already and um you know it It'll it'll do really well on home video, but or physical media and and what have you and streaming. But I think it's I think it's I think it's done. Like and it's made a ton of money. So dude, so it's only forty four million dollars away. I still don't think you, don't, you can make it. I don't. I think it's I think it's it's already run on empty. Like I think maybe if it's lucky, it'll make. 10 right yeah you're you're right 44 doesn't seem like a lot but then you got to remember it is a lot because a lot of movies don't even gross 44 million in their like yeah well like run. look at men in black international which is the number one movie of of last week as we're recording this and it made 20 million yeah and like it'll be lucky to make 40 million probably in its in its national run versus or like, even the the second week drop for x-men was gigantic yeah exactly it's like it went down from what it's i think it was almost like 71 percent yeah and it it's only it's opening weekend was only mid 20s wasn't it yeah like it bombed completely and then the next weekend was like nine it'd be amazing if disney's like can we just put the, the money that dark phoenix made into the pot for uh for endgame yeah like i'm looking now and men in black international oh i'm not am i on an opening weekend no i'm not uh oh they fucked it all up because i'm looking at it in the middle of the week um it's just yeah i don't know interesting but i i don't know black widow not a movie that like i i probably think we need but um i'm glad to see them uh give scarlett johansson her own at last yeah like but also there's some interesting people like i like uh kate shortland who um is the director of lore which actually i think is playing at the light box for anybody in toronto uh part of the uh the book series the book film series books on film yeah um and also uh rob hardy who is the cinematographer for uh, oh, Ex Machina and yeah, and, and Mission Impossible? Yeah, and Annihilation. And they've compared it both. We use the comparison to Better Call Saul, but also from an action standpoint, that they wanted to feel kind of like a Mission Impossible film, more of a spy movie kind of right. vibe to it, which sounds cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm into it. And I mean, I like Florence Pugh a lot. Pugh. Uh, I like David Harbour. He seems like a good dude. He is um, a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm I'm open. I mean, he'll again, be playing Hellboy. In you it, know, though. I'm all in on the MCU anyway. Could you so imagine if he was playing Hellboy in <laughs> Black Widow? crossover? Um, Hellboy's owned by Lionsgate. Yeah, but I mean, in the comics, I'm, I'm uh, to think, Dark Horse. Dark Horse, you're correct. Yeah, DC's getting rid of Vertigo, which is interesting. Yeah, I was reading about that. So Swamp Thing, what else? Constantine, is... a couple other 
there's some smaller creator owned stuff like American Vampire. And, so now and, are they just owned by the people that created them? Or? <laughs> creator owns are always owned by the people that create them. Um, hence the name, I guess. Uh, but some of the other imprints are just, they're just want to put everything under the DC label now. So oh, think, so they're just going to be a part of DC. In, okay, yeah. So you. they're going to have three levels of DC comics, like a all ages one, a, for teens and up and then dc black label which is going to be their like 17 plus like r where's spawn label. in all this is spawn his own spawn thing? is um uh who's the image comics okay um because i mentioned like image comics also distributes invincible and spawn would show up in invincible sometimes because they're all image comics so uh which is just an independent label i believe right um uh, okay, moving on. Uh, big old Ronnie Howard to direct his first animated film. I just put that in there because I thought it was funny. Uh, do you know what it is? It uh, seems like... Sorry, I'm reading this story for the first time. The Shrinking of Treehorn. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something I can relate to. Ron Howard's um, The Shrinking of Treehorn. Yeah, okay. It's scripted by uh, Rob Lieber, who did uh, Peter Rabbit and Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Um, I don't have much to say sure. about it other than I'm just... Ron <laughs> Howard, he just like... Hey, Ronnie, you, you're doing anything? Yeah, you want to direct this animated I'm movie? just finishing this Pavarotti yeah. uh, documentary. Yeah. You want to do a kid's animated film? Sure. Sure, what do I got to do? Just do what we tell you. All right. <laughs> like, no two of his movies feel like... The same. The same. No. And like he is the ultimate you'll get the jobber. dilemma, you'll get Apollo thirteen, you'll get Backdraft. Fucking yeah. Night shift. God, it's he's so uh, bless him. He seems like the nicest guy, but yeah. like He I is just, the janitor of of studio films. He just cleans up the mess or Or if you don't have anyone else, he'll be like I'll take it. <laughs> oh, I'll do it. Who's distributing it? I didn't even see. I don't know. Um uh, I'll take a look. I think Image here. probably is like his company, Imagine, is going to be helping out on that. But because uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, his mm-hmm. next movie that he's shooting now, Paramount, it's Paramount. oh Paramount, um, yep. is Netflix, uh, Hillbilly, something with Amy Adams, Glenn Close, and Frida Pinto. Okay, that's what he's doing right now. Yeah, and that's and then, for Netflix. And this will be after. Yeah. God bless him, man. Like you, if you lined up five movies and told people to pick three Ron Howard ones, they'd or if like, you were to tell them that all of these are Ron Howard movies, I'd be like, <laughs> I don't, I don't believe you. <laughs> the dilemmas that is so God damn it, it's such a jobber movie, and then like it's so weird. Like I just some of them just Willow? completely don't fit. Yeah, like you're just like, how is this by the same person? I think the more successful version of that is is Ridley Scott. Although I mean, like Ridley Scott, like he still has a look though, right? Or, like, but I mean, and like his two kind of genres that he always kind of seems to be gravitating towards are both sci-fi and period piece. But he has a lot of discrepancies in his career where it's like, oh, this one, like someone to watch over me is kind of like an odd thing. Oh, Matchstick Men is kind of weird yeah. in there. Where with like Ron Howard, it's like you were just like taking every genre, every You were just throwing the 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 food at the at the you know at, at the wall and seeing what's gonna stick. Like it's just one of those situations. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Like I like Apollo thirteen, I like Rush. I like Night Shift. But so, then, I mean, the odd time, like one in five, you're like, right. oh, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
And then you get, like, Solo. We keep forgetting, like, is just in there. Ron Howard Solo. God, I don't know, man. Uh, Next piece of news. An interesting one, talking about comics, which we just brought up, Marvel Comics and DC. Uh, J.J. Abrams and his son Henry are uh, co-writing a new Spider-Man comic for Marvel Comics. Uh, I guess, I think it's Abrams' first comic book, and and his son, who is... uh, 20 i think is also working with his dad for the first time um i made a nepotism joke to you earlier which is alive and well in hollywood and and always has been probably always will be it will i mean but not just hollywood either it's it's every industry and sometimes it does suck where like someone can actually be really talented and be doing their own thing but it's like they have to live in their parent shadow so to speak even when they've proven themselves i agree it can go either way right Right. like um like i understand like you know like for example like sofia coppola is a great filmmaker in her her own right but at the same time you know the white privileged nepotism thing is there and it's a valid criticism but she's also made movies where it's like Okay, well, she has proven herself, and yep. it's like you just can't call her. I'm just Sophia saying some people Coppola. might not get those opportunities, right? Right. But no, one hundred percent. I also believe in the other way of thinking too, of being like, well, of course these people are talented because their fathers were incredibly talented and can pass on that knowledge and that experience and help them out with things, and like, so I also see the side of going like, well, yeah, they they lived and breathed this stuff, which is like even Jason Reitman to an extent too, where I feel like he. He has made some great movies that have proved himself. I mean, there are some others that not so much. And now he's like, directing his dad's franchise. Exactly, that's kind of weird, right? And then, although um, he was in Ghostbusters too, I so. know. I, I, I but I both understand and like to poke fun at it. But I feel like in any industry, like it's it's so tough, man, to even get in anywhere. You almost need to know someone and to break out on your own. Like I give even more credit but that's like but that's life in general right like sometimes it's who you know like when you're like it's applying for a job or something like that it's yeah it's in any industry but it's just it it, it's one of those things where you know you hear another actor or filmmaker miss an opportunity because the person has connections to the project because it is a family member or someone that is close. But in Hollywood, and... such an incestuous industry too. Yeah. Um, where like it's not even just family. It's just like your friend or you know this guy or they pass on your name or they suggest you. And I mean – Well, you know what you got to do. You got to change your name like uh, Nicolas Cage did. Yeah. From Nicolas right. Coppola. Right? And then you make it out on your own, right? Yeah, because when they were – because. But again, he probably got some breaks because of that. Oh, he did. But the reason why he also changed his name, not just because he's a comic book fan, but because um, a lot of the people that were working with him when he was in Francis Ford Coppola movies like Rumblefish were making fun of him because they were saying the only reason you're here is because your uncle gave you this job, which is partly true. But then he changed his name and then people kind of forgot. Forgot, yeah. So going back to the Spider-Man comic, I, I mean, I, I, I love JJ. I have since lost. I, um, I think he's one of the most solid Hollywood men. You know what I mean by like, like. Ooh, he's, he's a like, good producer. He's a good uh, showrunner. Yeah. He's, he's 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 a he's a solid brand. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. and and I think uh, him branching out into comics and and uh, it seems like his son is like a hardcore comic book fan and and nerd and that's why he's like 
I wanted to do this with him because he is the comic book guy and I have all this experience and this, uh, I mean, JJ's not really known. Well, he started off as a writer, right? Like some of his stuff Yeah, well, like, you know what one of his first movies were as, as a writer? Yeah, it's... Uh, He's done a couple of them. Uh, He's one of like the seven writers credited on Armageddon. Okay. Yeah. And But he went by Jeffrey Abrams at that point. And then he also co-wrote, and this is probably where he gave The his, trucker movie, right? Or no, what am I thinking? Uh, Joyride. Joyride. Uh, he was a producer on that. Yeah. And I think maybe a story credit. Um, but he, and this is probably where he gave his son, or his his son was named as well. Um, he wrote the Harrison Ford, Annette Benning movie, or at least co-wrote it, uh, regarding Henry, which is about a lawyer who gets shot and then has a, a new point of view on life. Right. Okay. Cool. I, so um, that's the comic book they're really creating, yeah. is a regarding Henry sequel. Yeah. So uh, I'll try and pull up some details on the Spider-Man comic, but it's going to introduce a brand new villain. Um, which I thought was interesting. Um, and it's going to be uh, drawn by uh, Sarah Pacelli. Um, and I'm trying to see if they named this new villain. Um, but, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for this. It's uh, I remember when J.J. was working on that Superman uh, movie when Mick G was going to direct it too, remember? <laughs> um, so, anyways, I'm excited for this. Uh, I'd be curious to see if J.J. ever... I mean, he's kind of already obviously worked in the superhero realm. You could consider both either Star Trek or Star Wars to kind of... We even Mission Impossible uh, to some extent. Um, But to see him actually tackle like a franchise superhero, it could be interesting. But um, I'll definitely read this comic when it comes out. Um, Spider-Man's one of my favorite superheroes. And as I've mentioned many times before, and it is one of the comic series I do regularly kind of read. So I'm excited for this. You yeah. have any interest or... I mean, I'd be curious about it. And like you said, I think one of the most interesting things is to see J.J. and his son, Henry, kind of dive into a straightforward uh, superhero story or like into a world that we're familiar with. Um, and, and yeah, like, you know, his attempts at getting a Superman movie off the ground and and what have you. And that kind of stuff is, is, is a curiosity. I wonder if he will at one point do a, a superhero film. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, one of the go-to people for Disney now. And they went back to him with... with, uh, Like, I feel he's too big of a name in the same way that Spielberg is. Like, Spielberg has flirted with the idea of doing a superhero movie here and there. I think Blue Beetle was the last thing that, like, there was, like... Right. Some rumors seems about... Seems like Warner's go But he's go too after, big of a like, name, I That's think. what I mean. And, Warner Brothers seems to be still trying to go for certain bigger names when it comes to some of their superhero stuff. But right. Marvel seems to go the kind of indie director route or even... Because well, like they the, have complete control over yeah, them, right? Where, and, like, nobody's going to say no or say, like, Spielberg, you have to do it this way if he's going to direct, you know, a Superman movie. But right? J.J. does... He's one of those guys, like, we just made fun of Ron Howard for it, but J.J. does it in a way where he, like... He is a yes man, it seems like, or he is, like, a... Uh, he's a company man, uh, A company sure, man, yeah. that's, the, that's the exact word that I'm looking for, but he still is able to kind of do his thing. He's and, a company man, but he... The, the things that he is producing and a part of he actually really likes. Like, it's not just some suit making money off of, you know, a product. Like, right. it still is that, obviously, but on top but of that... he's good at he, doing that. Yeah, and he actually likes the things he's selling. Yeah. 
So I could see him doing it, but it would need to be something gigantic. Like if they were looking for uh, someone to do a new Avengers movie or something like that. Right. right? Like uh, unless you find one of the directors who are working in the MCU right now, much like when they got the Russo brothers who were successful with the Captain America films. I don't know if they have that one guy or that one woman working on something right now. Right. Well, the closest thing for JJ would be would be Matt Reeves. Right. Yeah. The Batman. Yeah. Movie yeah, because this I mean he's one of a, his protege. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, I don't know who. It'll be really interesting of like what the next kind of go-to Marvel person will be, right? Like, yeah, and it seems it'll. All, I mean, I guess Kevin Feige right now is just kind of taking that role. Well, yeah, until he's they always find been somebody. That, but... but that's the other thing with that series. Like, it always seems to burn out the person who's in charge. Now, it hasn't done that so much with the Russo brothers, but I I have a feeling that now, like, they are also finished. But do you think the they films. come back if you, if they Yeah, do I mean, I, I could, like, they're, they're also kind of like yes men filmmakers and not, not i'm not trying to say no that that's we're not a bad meaning thing, that in but... a derogatory way because i feel like some people can do it properly and i think they are one of the right the but when i think of the can. russo brothers i don't necessarily think of like oh, a tour of filmmakers yeah, I right I, I agree with you but um, like but i think with that's the russos, still okay though but i can also see like with the russos like even like because they also just recently announced that they're doing remakes of mgm titles so maybe they need some time to kind of take a break but like whedon and Gunn, and there was somebody else as well. Oh, Favreau. Like, all three of those guys were in love with the properties to begin with, but then it became political or, you know, like, their relationship with Marvel Studios kind of soured over time, and it became Favreau less Favreau turned around, but, like... He did, but... but not like he was he had this vision that he was going to direct the Avengers films and yeah. he was going to be a bigger part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And then Iron Man 2 kind of ruined that. Right? Yeah, and he had a falling out with the studio. But that's a very different Marvel Studios than the one that is Right, but then now. you look at Whedon though as well, right? Where he was put in Still- charge of the Avengers universe and sort of being the puppeteer of sort of keeping everything in check, building to the next ensemble film. And then he also has this falling out with them. Yeah. And then even Gunn, I mean, Gunn had some issues there with, you know, his own uh, personal history. But, like, even him, like, he was, like, a guy that was like, yeah, like, I'm I'm kind of reinventing and 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 sort of adding something new to the Marvel series. And then like Marvel has actually copied his style and formula for even, you know, Thor Ragnarok and the latest two Avengers movies. Yeah. Do you see Favreau ever coming back to do another one? I don't know. I don't know. Like, I think at this point Favreau is a little more, not cynical, but wiser to, how Marvel works and how it runs. and So he doesn't mind popping in to kind of be... Yeah, he'll be an executive producer and pop in his Happy Hogan here and there, but I don't know how much hand, how like hands-on he'll be moving forward with the new properties or if there's anything that he really wants to do. Because, I mean, another thing is, like, he is, you know, he has The Lion King coming out. He's done The Jungle Book. So he's still very much a part of the Disney... He's the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian. He's very much part of the Disney machine. But I can also see him wanting to maybe go and do another chef, right? Or something like that. Like, it's not always going to be these giant studio movies because it's exhausting. And it's like, you know, being, like... 
when you see the president start their career as the president <laughs> yeah. and then you flash forward after one or two terms and see how much they've aged. Like even Obama, who still looks great for 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 you know going through two terms, looked so much younger when he started. Yeah. And that's what happens to a lot of these guys because you're taking so much on. Yeah. Totally. Like I can see even someone like Ryan Coogler kind of like trying to get out after Black Panther 2. Mm-hmm. I think two or three, and then you want to go move on to do some other things. Yeah, because right? he's Unless... a young guy, and he still has so much to give. And it's like, do you want to put it all in this, or do you want to do other stuff as well? Yeah, I, I've always been um, adamant on the one for you, one for me thing. Like, I feel like there are these, like you said, these guys who really do care about certain properties in these universes much like you and I do, right? right. But then you also have original ideas or some other things, and you want to kind of play with different characters or different kind of things or write something yourself that is completely original. Right. But that's the thing I do worry about with some of the the young up-and-coming filmmakers that Marvel is swooping in and taking is that, like, is their prime their prime time of their career being utilized on, being utilized yeah. on that. And, and again, like, I'm not saying that a Marvel movie isn't worthy of, of artistic merit. Because there, there's a lot of really solid Marvel films, and Black Panther really proved that you can make a movie that combines both high art and 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 entertainment. You know, yeah. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like it's like I want to see Ryan Coogler. Like, I, I mean, even with the Creed series, like I want to see him do what he wants to do, and I want to see him. Like, I just I hope that we'll get to see him do other stuff, and I just don't want to see him do one thing. Could you see with Disney now having the Fox and Fox Searchlight label, like, do you think it's even possible for them to do deals of a one for you, one for me kind yeah. of thing of being like, well, I think that might will let you direct, or if you direct this big franchise movie for us, we'll let you do something weird or original on either Fox or Fox Searchlight. Yeah, I I, I think that's actually I a really good point. I mean, look at what um, Chloe Zhao is doing right now with that small indie with Francis McDormand and David Strathairn, uh, No Man Land. Right, and yeah. and then she's also now doing. But the where Eternals. is No Man's Land? Like, who has it? Searchlight. Oh, it does. Okay, yeah. cool. I mean, that would have been probably made before that deal made. Yeah, but it was close. It like it was, yeah. it was announced like right before the deal. Right. Was so going maybe through. like Disney would have at that point still probably had to have a say in that. Yeah, we'll see. But I don't see like, for example, I don't see like you know they bought. Uh, uh, a hidden world. I don't see Terrence Malick jumping on the, God, the Marvel Studios bandwagon. That'd be amazing. Even like a short film, if they could convince a one-shot like, Terrence Malick God, Marvel Studios. So movie. awesome! If it was like 25, 30 minutes, and they're like, "Hey, take a character and just make some weird." You know what it would fucking... be? It would be Thanos on the farm. That'd be fucking awesome, man. It's never gonna happen. But no. <laughs> like, I'd be totally into some stuff like that. Or even if they're like the. Not even a one ifs. Like if, if on Disney Plus, if they did like a Marvel the one shot series kind of thing, where instead of what ifs, they were like just a bunch of the one shots in a series, like ten of them that were all like twenty minutes, thirty minutes long, by like directors that don't necessarily want to do something gigantic that's going to take up or commit like, to three films. Yeah, or, like they yeah. just let people do weird things with MCU characters that are still in universe or in canon or whatever, but like are kind of ex- experimental a little bit, that would be kind of awesome. But right. What if might be that, but it's going to be animated, right? But um, Yeah, I- and, and it does seem that Marvel is open to talking to people. I mean, we've heard, you know, people like Claire Denis was interviewed possibly, I think, for Black Widow. So they're, they are 
looking past the usual suspects, the usual studio helmers to come in and, and, and work on that. And I hope they open it up even more. But yeah, I, like I just I just hope that there is the one for you, one for them thing. And I hope because of Searchlight, like I think that's an actually a, like you what you mentioned if they can muscle them to make a Marvel movie, but say like, "Hey, we'll give you, you know, a we'll give Carte you Blanche, Kate Blanchett yeah. to uh, uh, do whatever you want with a we'll searchlight movie." We'll give you movie. thirty million, fifty million. Well, that's probably still pretty expensive for a searchlight movie. Yeah, but Disney can afford um, it. Yeah, right? but like they got that. Sweet okay, maybe mouse twenty-five money. to. Th- Thirty-five million dollars yeah. for like an indie film on not indie. I mean, indie's a weird word now, but like for a searchlight movie, yeah, could be cool. Like I would almost negotiate that shit into my contract if I was like working with Disney on. Yeah, Marvel like stuff. I have this thing I've been working like, on for a while. I have a script ready to yeah. go. If I do this Marvel movie, I want to do this. This is in the contract. Yeah, and I can see like if Disney really wants to work with someone like that would be, and you're getting talented people, right? Like to your point when you talk about like them kind of expanding who they're looking for to direct these films. And I think that's why we have seen the MCU constantly kind of improve where it, I think the films have gotten better and better is because they're working with more interesting people and giving them a little bit more freedom while still playing within their rules and their continuity and where the, MCU kind of needs to go and we might even see it kind of open up even more when everything isn't going towards uh, who knows where we're headed but like if not if we're not headed to like this big 22 movie arc like we just got and it's going to be a little bit more free then you might even let people kind of experiment a little bit more and it'll and you can bring in people like that who have bold ideas you get a little looser a little more Free-flowing. And which we've seen them already kind of do, right? Like, when you're comparing Age of Ultron and Iron Man 2 to how they've handled a lot of the Phase 3 stuff, we've... Right, or the third in a series of films. Like, once you get to Iron Man 3 or Thor Ragnarok, it's like, yeah, go crazy. Yeah, go crazy, yeah. And and that makes for uh, probably some of the best stuff in those series, right? At least the most interesting to talk about, because it's not just all, you know... Set up and... Formula and, and sort of has been vetted through committees and stuff like that. Like a lot of this stuff, even though I enjoy it is, is very much made to succeed. Like it's, there's, there's very little in there that feels like, um, you know, the director got a lot in there, but when you do and the voice does come through, it makes it more satisfying and more interesting to talk about where you get those little quirks. Yeah. All right. Next piece of news. Uh, pretty quick. Uh, Halloween two is gearing up for a fall shoot. Uh, with a 2020 uh, release, and it looks like David Gordon Green and Jamie Lee Curtis are going to return, as well as Judy Greer and... Uh, Andy uh, Malachek? Yeah, Andy... Ma- uh, Ma- Malik? Matichak. Matichak. Seems like, unless that's... Yeah. Um, cool. I, I don't think we need this. No, I, I, think, they, pretty... I think they ended it perfectly. Yeah. But we got him. <laughs> you know, Jason Blum... He, he, well, it I, made so much money, right? Yeah, like, I know. And I mean, I'll watch the shit out of it. Um, sure, but is it going to be good? Who knows? I have faith. I, I like uh, that. It'll be entertaining at least. Like right. I don't. 
I, I think I trust David Gordon Green enough that like if he brings back uh, Danny McBride again and like I loved the tone, the weird kind of tone of the new Halloween. Oh, film. same, hundred percent. I had like that Midnight Madness screening was one of the best times I've I've had at TIFF and in a movie theater in a right. very long. time. But it also helped that it was a really good movie. Yes, right? I agree completely. Um, and I just yeah, and I again like I feel like they just ended it perfectly. Like it just like. We we have you know we've summed this series up. We we finally found an endpoint, and we've we've and that's messy because that series is all over the place. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, talking about continuity issues in in horror films. Um, so I, I'm curious, but at the same time, you're like, yeah, like I just felt like that last twenty minutes was so perfect, and and they they got out of there. Um, and 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 redeem the series in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, because I think it, it. Besides, I like Halloween three, but Halloween three is its own thing. But in the continuity of that series, it really is the second best, uh, next to John Carpenter's original. Yeah. Um. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Uh, jumping off that point, another Jason Blum uh, sequel. <laughs> uh, it looks like he's developing a paranormal. It's time for all these franchises to come back. Uh, right. Paranormal Activity But what comedian seven. is producing this? Yeah, I know. Is this Eric just, Andre's <laughs> uh, Paranormal Activity That'd 7? Be amazing. Um, no comedian attached to this, like my beloved Saw franchise. Uh, but Chris it- Rock Saw. <laughs> I cannot wait. Uh, but it does look like they are bringing back. We've only been off of Paranormal Activity for a couple years, right? It like, feels longer. There was though. that that weird spin-off. spinoff, Paranormal Activity, the marked ones, which they were setting up to be like an expanded cult of like what. And and the last oh, Ghost Dimension was oh, the last one. Fuck that movie, which but, I never saw. Oh, they are bad. So they named the the main ghost something, and I and they were trying to add more mythology to or, it. Yeah. What? Backstory. <laughs> I think you said Axe Spray. <laughs> yeah, Axe um, Body Spray is the name of the ghost. Um, and it and it yeah. And they were trying to add more mythology to it. And it's like this is something that doesn't need that. And and even it, Ghost Dimension, I heard like when you added too much like special effects and CG and stuff, you kind of lose what made the original one kind of yeah but the original special. one's also really boring and i think part of what made that movie exciting was more so the marketing than anything just else. like blair witch yeah but it was more kind of like oh guys this scary movie that played it i think it was slam dance um we have to we have to you know uh sign a petition to get it to play in our town and i remember when it first was released it was only playing at young and dundas I remember and everybody it. and it's just like when you watch it it's just like it I saw a preview of it at the Oshawa Cineplex, I think. Too, it's just so predictable because it's like, okay, the first night a door opens. The next night you hear a sound. I think it's well executed. I, I It's gimmicky, though. It I, is 100%. so gimmicky. And, and I mean, but I think the, the Saw movies like, are more inventive than the Paranormal Activity films. I like the third Paranormal Activity movie, that's, but that's partly because it's an 80s film and yeah. there's some fun 80s references here and the camera tricks that they use in that one are kind of fun yeah but but like there's not a lot to them and i just feel like paranormal activities like where we left off with ghost dimension and even the marked ones it felt like that series was out of gas at that point and and like literally ghost dimension is one of those movies that i can i i hope to never (laughs) rewatch. um i remember seeing it in the theater and being like why am i doing this to myself um, and it's just so boring. And again, like they tried to build in 
this greater mythology that felt forced and is not needed for you know basically a haunted house film yeah totally agree i i i do remember enjoying the first one and the third one and then that's pretty much it because of the novelty of that first one like you mentioned like i bought into it and i it was a time where we were a bit younger and like you were more of the horror guy though, right? Yeah. Where I wasn't. So I didn't like them um, then. And and like you said, like found footage was still like it wasn't in its prime because I'd say like the best like Blair Witch had already had been done to death already, right? Like that was ninety nine. Um the rec movies were two thousand three three or 2002 but there was that slew of like yeah there was the last exorcism there were the paranormal activity movies there was a few other there i mean there was the remake of 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 wreck quarantine um and yeah like it was all playing on the found footage uh genre and some are okay and some are are mediocre and and i mean cannibal holocaust is is really the first one of those and the legend of boggy creek as well which i think the legend of boggy creek might predate all of them, which is in the, it's the late first 60s. One. Yeah. yeah, I remember I wrote an article. What did I write an article about recently that referenced all this? I wrote an article about something comparing something to found footage movies. And I do find it interesting when you see the found footage genre being added into other subgenres. Like, I mean, even though it's it's hard to talk about now because of who Max Landis is, but like seeing Chronicle sort of take that approach was interesting because it was not a horror movie. It was in the superhero genre. I mean, our uh, and uh, fuck call, Max Landis. Uh, yeah, fuck that guy too. Um, we ha- didn't put in a news story or anything just because I don't want to give him the time of day. But um, fuck Max Landis. And, I'll just say uh, Josh Trank's Chronicle because yeah, like the, the he, way that they played with with sort of you know found footage was similar to a lot of these horror movies, but it wasn't necessarily a horror film, even though there are horrific moments in the film. Agreed. Uh, next piece, uh, our boy Noho Hank <laughs> is in, uh, Bill and Ted, uh, three. So, uh, Anthony Kerrigan, um, he is going to be, uh, sorry. Yeah. Anthony Bill and Kerrigan. Ted three Casper. Yeah. As duo's relentless adversary. Right. So he's the villain in, sorry, I read that sentence very weirdly. I couldn't process what it meant. You were just, um, you were just thinking about Noho Hank getting ready for summer. Betty. <laughs> it's me, Barry. Do you recognize me? Uh, cool. I, I'm not a big Bill and Ted guy. I don't know. I like the first one. Uh, second one's okay. Um, I'm hoping that he is playing like the son of death. Yeah. Um, Bill Sanders character because he, he, I mean like, come on, like the guy looks perfect for that role. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Um, but I'm excited for him. I just, I really like him on Barry and just to see him getting attention is nice. You knew after Barry that someone would give him a, a meaty something right right so uh yeah i gotta go and rewatch bill and ted i got i remember they're watching dated. them in like maybe in school you know you'd have one of those yeah. one of your teachers were hung over and they're like hey this kind <laughs> so of place they're on bill and yeah. ted well like, it's like i guess the first one because they take all yeah, those historical that's figures. what i meant yeah like I mean, there's some problematic stuff because it is the late 80s and there's lines of dialogue that are like oh but yeah, don't but, they call each other the f word yeah and stuff but like that? they're not bad people like bill and ted are very like they're 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 it's just of the time yeah and and they're they're kind of lunkheads but they're not mean-spirited like they're very nice and both alex winter and keanu reeves are the best part of those movies in terms of just their personalities and you can tell that they're having a lot of fun with that movie but it but yeah it's it's one of those disposable comedies where 
I think weirdly it got more success than it needed to. Like it even had a cartoon series. Yeah. That Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter did the voices of. So weird. Um, moving on, uh, Rachel Morrison, who you guys would know as the, um, uh, cinematographer on Black Panther, uh, Mudbound, which she was nominated uh, for an Oscar, the first woman to ever be nominated in the cinematography category, uh, is going to be making her directorial debut, um, Flint Strong, Flint Strong, uh, written by Barry Jenkins. Yeah. This was something that Barry Jenkins was originally thinking of doing it's a boxing sports drama and right now i mean flint michigan's gone through a lot so i'm very curious to see what uh she'll be able to bring to the table as a director yeah same i mean um dps turned directors don't always work out thinking very about well. wally fister yeah i mean i love wally fister i think he's a great um cinematographer he, doing now? But he dude after transcendence everyone was like because he shot some episodes of the tick did he okay because yeah. he's gone, gone in, he's gone in director's jail for sure yeah and um, rightfully so and but he's not even really shooting anything no. right like he's not working with anyone and uh he can't go back to nolan now because hoyt van hoytema is yeah so it's like he kind of like I, I hope. I mean, a Barry Jenkins script in her directing. I have, I have all the faith in the world that it'll be good. But, yeah. um, and I'm sure she'll work with a lot of people as well that she is um, familiar with and and knows that are like the top of the line. Like this will be a project that'll come together really quickly. I think. Um, I agree. Just based on her name alone. So uh, I hope it turns out really well, and I hope she uh, – I mean, she's worked with some great directors too, but, I mean, again, Wally Pfister worked with a pretty great director. and uh, Well, he also worked with Bennett Mill. Like, he shot Moneyball as yeah, well. Right. And then I'm trying to think, like, what are the best cinematographers turned directors? Barry got? Sonnefeld yeah. was pretty good. as yeah. uh, I mean, started as the Coen Brothers yeah. cinematographer, then went on to do his thing. Um, Nicholas Rogue, who did Don't Look Now and Walkabout, started as a cinematographer. Okay. Um, so yeah, there are there are people that that start out as as DPs and then move on to successful careers. But then yeah, yeah like you're. And I always forget. Do they work? Do they shoot their own films? Sometimes, sometimes? I'm I'm sure they have input on the cinematography. But I know like it can be so much work doing that one thing like a like being a cinematographer is from yeah. is is a nightmare like the people i've talked to that are cinematographers that have you know like i mean my brother is a cinematographer it so is, is uncle, one of the most yeah. stressful jobs you can possibly have and um there's a lot of pressure put on you and the director the job of a director i mean you're basically becoming the jack of all trade right and having to sort of say yes you're delegating or no or, a lot of the times yeah too, right? and that's basically taking on everything so I, I could see her bringing on like maybe uh, a cinematographer she holds up highly or somebody that she's worked with like maybe her uh, first assistant that she's never like maybe that's somebody fair, that's yeah. yeah never had that shot yet to be a cinematographer but comfortable working with them yeah right yeah that makes sense a shorthand you know yep uh next piece of news not much to say but we liked laughing at the name uh the kingsman prequel uh <laughs> is going to be titled the king's man <laughs> So there's a short synopsis that we can uh, read out. So, and it's a prequel. It is a prequel yeah. uh, taking place near World War II, I believe. Uh, as a collection of history's worst tyrants and criminal masterminds gathered to plot a war to wipe out millions, one man must 
race against time to stop them, discover the origins of the very first independent intelligence agency in The King's Man, directed by Matthew Vaughn, coming to theaters in February 2020. Um, it's just one man. I know this went into production, I think, as the transition was happening between Fox and Disney, but it is a franchise that I'm interested... I'm surprised Disney... Is continuing? Yeah, like I know they're successful and they do. Well, pretty the first well one them. did really well. I think the second one, because it was the second one was released. I remember it was released right after TIFF. Yeah, and it was a September release, and I don't think it did as well. Where but, maybe the February release is a bit better. Yeah, because there's not a lot in terms of competition, um, and it was also kind of a surprise the first one. Um, so completely new cast. Um, yeah. Uh, prequel, just still directed by Matt Vaughn, but now distributed by Disney uh, through Fox. So how um, raunchy and juvenile is this going to be? Because there's some icky stuff. I actually hope in it helps movies. I hope it helps the franchise because if they can, I think what is holding it back from being really, really solid is that juvenile like. And this all R-rated comes back to stuff. Mark Millar more yeah. than anyone else. Yeah, and um. So I'm curious if Disney tells them, like, hey, you can still be R-rated. You can still kind of push some boundaries a little bit. But, like, maybe don't do a horrible, like, fingering um, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, that sequence in the second one is just uncomfortable, man. And, like, there's some things in there, like, even the end of the first film and, and just some of the shit that is just like looks sounds like it's written by a teenager and you're just like man there is some clever stuff here and some good action set pieces and i think matt vaughn's a good director and like a stylish director and i i do like this satirical nature it's taking on bond and things yeah, like that yeah it's it's like, the in between between bond and austin yeah, powers and i think that's great and um but some things are holding it back from being like I, I think the first Kingsman movie is one of those movies that I, I genuinely do really, really enjoy. And I could, it's one of those movies I can put on and watch the whole thing, like, uh, just at any time. Uh, the second one, I, I rewatched uh, recently, and it, it just – it wasn't as bad as I think the first time I watched it. Like, I, I kind of eased up on it a little bit, but there are elements there where I'm just like, you could have – it's going at like 150 when it needs to kind of get back down to like even maybe 85, 90, even right. like based on the thing of like of just its tone and it's some of that stuff where it's like, man, it really seems like you went into a high school classroom with a bunch of boys and asked them to write a James Bond satire. Yeah. Um, 100%. So, and But Mark Miller, a lot of his stuff is like that anyways. Yeah, he like, is. I'm yeah. one of the people that does not like kick ass or wanted yeah. or... You would hate stuff. all of his comics, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I've I've read yeah. Wanted, and there's a giant poo monster. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, this guy had like this is like a 40, 50 year old Scottish man who acts like a teenage American boy who, you know, is discovering the swear words for the first time. But I guess that's his audience, and maybe he's he's writing for that audience. I I, right. I, I guess I get that, but... It's his base. Um, it, it 100% is, but I'm curious to see he has that deal with Netflix now, right? And we haven't seen anything come out of that yet. So I know he's working on a couple different 
movies or shows based on some of his properties. And I used to be, again, when I was younger, I liked a lot of Mark Millar stuff because of that. But then I kind of grew out of it and started to go, you know what? Like, I'm... I'm good. I'm not 14 anymore. Mark. Yeah. And I, so I get it. And maybe it's just not for us, but like, the, but I really do that. Yeah. Your butthole jokes aren't for me anymore. There is some potential in some of this stuff where I'm like, man, you have a nugget of a good idea here and you're executing it fairly well because Matt Vaughn comes in and, and puts his spin on it. But, um, the Mark Millarisms are kind of holding it back. And I hope Disney, being involved a little bit maybe kind of tones it down a little bit right i don't know we'll see. takes the millar out of the jar i like some of the stylish elements and the and the twist on different genres it's just the the crudeness of it all sometimes you're just like it doesn't need to be there's something else i think didn't i bring that up recently in a in a movie we saw where i'm just like some of the unnecessary or i guess in even under the silver lake right yeah like some of that stuff. Although I'll take like, that over anything oh, Mark Millar has yeah, done. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I genuinely do really, really love Under the Silver Lake. But there are those moments where I'm like, all right, guys, come on. Yeah. We're grownups here. <laughs> um, I, mean, I mean, it's nice to be young at heart, but yeah, like juvenile. Like, it's like, <laughs> we're tailing a, a dirty joke. And it's like, fuck. Like, I'm not 12. Yeah. Um, the next Pixar film has a title. And a date. Pixar um, has soul. They're super bad. Um, yeah. So uh, this reminds me. So Pete Doctor directing, right? Yeah. And then um, who directed Inside Out? And, yeah, which uh, almost this sounds. I think you mentioned this as well when we were first talking about it uh, when it was announced. It sounds almost like a spiritual companion to Inside Oh, Out. I like that. Yeah, spiritual sequel. Or successor. Uh, yeah, it does yeah. really feel like that. Like, I feel like with Inside Out taking place in the mind, and then you're... And being sl- about certain feelings. Yeah, and then now this taking part in the soul, or your heart, maybe, right? Like, yeah. um, your heart and soul. We'll finally um, understand why the replicants <laughs> can't be human. Yeah, so um, it does really remind me of... Uh, I, I, I do think that you'll see it closely... Uh, there'll be tons of Easter eggs that'll be yeah, referencing inside out. I think so. So, uh, we don't know much about it other than the title right now. Uh, and also that it's opening the same year that onward is opening. Like, I think it's only a couple months afterwards, yep. isn't it? So they're, they're doing, I don't necessarily like the years where we get two Pixar movies. Neither do I. And it, to me now feels more like, I like when Pixar takes their time and yeah, like a movie comes out usually every year. But it, I mean, that movie has taken so long to get made, and it's been thought of and and, so and how many teams on. are working on different films? At they Pixar? probably have more as they've expanded over the years. And but but at the same time, it's like I always appreciated just having one movie because it felt like they put everything into it, and they had everybody working on this one thing for better or worse, usually better. Um, but now with this, with Onward and Soul opening in the same year, it almost does feel. Like they're they're going the Marvel Studios route, where it's like you know we'll we'll release to this year, and maybe if we expand further, or maybe we can get three out at one point. And I just feel I like it's taking away some two, of the fun of it. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And I, we've had a couple years where we've gotten two, and I do feel like it takes the wind out of it a little bit because I feel like 
Didn't we get Good Dinosaur and Monsters University in the same yes. year? Yes, but, but that was an interesting case where Good Dinosaur was being delayed again and again because they were having in-house production problems. And I think it was a similar situation with Brave where um, the uh, internal issues from either firing a, a director or having to rewrite certain scenes and reshoot and uh, re-render and having to start from scratch came up a lot. So the delays for uh, The Good Dinosaur led it into the calendar year the same time as Monsters University. Fair, because I'm, I'm looking through Pixar's uh, slate. So we got Coco and Cars 3 in the same year. Uh, yeah, and then, sorry, no, we got Inside Out and The Good Dinosaur in the same okay. year. But yeah, I, I, Good then, Dinosaur either way was one of those movies that I think was probably supposed to... It was supposed to be 2014 because yeah. we didn't get a Pixar movie in 2014. Yeah, so. and so it was moved to the end of that year. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you that it's the same thing I feel about Star Wars, right? Where I, I don't think we should get more than one Star Wars movie a year. Uh, yeah, or, or like every couple of years, yeah. right? Yeah. Like for the Star Wars films, right? If that one a year, yeah. preferably one every couple of years. It's somewhat less is more sometimes, you know? Yeah, because I remember around the time when I think it was Ratatouille or Wally was coming out, they had even like a, I think it was Ratatouille, um, they had like a, a, a prologue before the movie. It wasn't a short film, but it was like, you know, we, you know, Andrew Stanton, uh, Pete Doctor, you know, John Lasseter. Fuck that guy, Fuck too. that guy. <laughs> but but at that point when they were talking about, like, you know, we, we would always come and sit at the table and pitch our ideas to each other. And then we would work on them for years and years and years and, and develop them and process them to make the most highest quality uh, story as possible because story is the most important it's it's quality over quantity and now I, I think around the time of the car sequels and the monster university sequels and when pixar was originally saying like we're about telling original stories and i'm excluding toy story because i feel the trilogy is in a different category but as soon as they started making those sequels it kind of went downhill like i'd say around probably like after up that's where peak pixar was and then toy story 3 is right after yeah so you're but, saying but, those but again I'm, I'm excluding toy story 3 i would agree I with you because it's if you, own thing if you go through after up in toy story 3 which we just brought up are two excellent fucking movies probably two of the best yeah pixar and movies. inside out was the one that kind of like was the rebound movie yeah. in so a you way. get cars 2 brave <sighs> Monsters University Ooh. as three in a row. Yeah, and then Good Dinosaur was supposed to come out, right? So Which that would have been four, four in a row. Yeah. And then you got the outlier of Inside Out being excellent in yeah. the one original movie. Well, Brave, I guess, as well, but that didn't... But that was so mangled. Yeah. Like, both Good Dinosaur and Brave. I, I, I like moments in The Good Dinosaur, um, and I like moments in Brave, but you can really tell that they struggled, struggled to figure out tonally what they were. And then you go into like some forgettable, not awful, but forgettable sequels with Finding Dory and Cars 3. Yeah. And then um, then you get into Coco and Incredibles 2, which are both pretty solid. Yeah. Um, and Incredibles 2 was the one sequel that they actually should have made. made 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, I don't love Coco, but Coco, I mean, again, like I, I like what it represents. And at least it is an original idea and it's expanding sort of on 
uh, tradition and family and what have you, and and it's one of the the nicer looking ones. Now, the one thing that's always going to be, and we'll talk about we we talked about this in in the Toy Story four review, is that the one thing that will always be good in all of these Pixar movies, the newer ones, is the animation. Like even if it's a bad movie, the animation will always be yeah. will be better because it's the newest updated version of you know the software and what they're working with and what have you yeah toy story 4 looks incredible yeah. at times man but even um, even good dinosaur and and brave look great yeah you know, I, I saw that yeah hot off the presses i don't know how new it is but our, my friend mike just uh, or our friend mike just are they releasing them all at the same time september 10th jesus <laughs> every my so, wallet is just gonna yeah that's what mike burn. just said i got a text from our friend mike who is a avid uh blu-ray and 4k collector much like eric um it texted me a photo of all these pixar movies it was perfect timing because we were talking about them and going seriously these all come out on september 10th fuck me (laughs) and then so uh we're getting cars finding nemo ratatouille cars 2 finding dory brave the good dinosaur and inside out all in 4k i'll get inside out and ratatouille first for sure um Yep, I would say those are the only two that are a must buy. I would love Wally in 4K. Why isn't it in, it in this? Maybe that's like their last one that yeah. they're. Wally is excellent. Yeah, okay. Wally's really good. And Up as well, right? Oh God, yeah, Up in 4K. Wally and Up would be the two that I would. Yeah. Really so maybe really they're want. saving those the the best for last, we'll you know, see. quote unquote. Okay, uh, I, think I hope we they got... don't do that with the uh, Marvel movies where they just dump everything because I think they're supposed to release the Iron Man films in August. If you put those in blocks with characters like they did with the Toy Story films, I would be okay with that. Yeah. Um, Or I want that 22 film 4K Infinity (laughs) Gauntlet. That $700 (laughs) set. If it ever comes out. Um, All right. Final piece of news and then we'll wrap up the show. Uh, You left this news piece to the end. Paramount acquires the Martin Scorsese Killers of the Flower Moon starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, I Marty's was talking- going back to cinemas, although Irishman will come out. Yeah, and cinemas. we were talking about this a little uh, last week because DiCaprio dropped out of uh, Nightmare Alley, and think I think this maybe the this is the reason why. I mean, this was a project that's been in development for, for a while but now. It finally got picked up. But since it's been picked up, and it'll probably be fast-tracked, and I know from listening to um, Scorsese and Joanna Hogg, who directed the Souvenir Talk on the A24 podcast, Scorsese seems like he, we're talking about aging, has aged 30 years making The Irishman over the past, you know, two or three years with this post-production because he is even kind of seeming a little iffy on it. Um, On The Irishman? Yeah, so I feel like with Killers of the Flower Moon, um, it sounds like a great story. I mentioned David Grant in the last episode or the last draft that he is uh, the writer of it and also did the The Lost City of Zed. Um, it's an FBI story. Uh, it kind of sounds interesting, and maybe it'll be more playful Scorsese, where, like, you know, in the way that Cape Fear and The Departed are kind of, you know, him having fun and letting loose. Mm-hmm. So maybe that'll be more genre oriented. Hopefully. We'll yeah. see. Uh, but yeah, I do think DiCaprio, that's probably why maybe DiCaprio decided ultimately not to go with uh, Del Toro, just to go back with, with his buddy Marty. Okay. I'm cool with it. Well, I especially love- if it starts to shoot in the fall, right? Or Right, or- so it would be around the same time that um, the Del Toro shooting, right? Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll see. 
um, Irishman, man. I, I want to see something. I I'm so curious about that movie, and I'm, I'm hope, hoping for the best. But I mean... <laughs> expecting the worst. Yeah, the de-aging of De Niro is going to be interesting. It's, I'm, they're working with ILM, so we kind of have an idea of what to expect because that would be the same team that's doing most of the Marvel and Star Wars kind of... Do they do Gemini Man as well? Probably. Because, like, even, like, and I think maybe it hurts a little more because we know, like, for example, with Gemini Man, we know what young Will Smith looks like, right? And we also know what young De Niro looks like. So we have this basis of comparison already. But on top of that, like, it's gotten better, but it still has this uncanny valley quality like smooth, to it. Like, almost, you, you bring it up all the time. Like, they just look too smooth. Yeah, they like, put they put uh, uh, motion glider yeah, or smoothing. Like Vaseline all over. Yeah. Like, it just... Like, there's no wrinkles. There's no yeah. definition. Like, it doesn't feel like the person is, is real. Yeah, you almost need those, like, defects that you would normally have. And I know they try to replicate that stuff. It worked like... the best. Spoiler alert. I'm not going to say exactly where. But it worked, I think, the best in something like blade runner 2049 because it's yeah. already kind of dealing with artificial uh bodies when right? you know and, someone might or might not be real or not yeah <laughs> then then you're kind of okay with it but when you said that uncan- uncanny valley thing when you know it should be a human well, especially in a drama real, right like yeah. if you have a scene where like two characters are sitting down yeah. to have a cup of coffee and one is de-aged and the other is just a person like just a regular human being that hasn't been you augmented. can tell which one is and which one is yeah right? exactly and yeah i mean gemini man might work because it's one character and, and it's it also a genre a action genre movie, sci-fi right? movie right yeah. where yeah, I'm with you. We haven't seen this in like a serious drama. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And Scorsese in that podcast, which again, I think people should listen I should to. Listen to that, yeah. Um, he he talked specifically about the eyes and the cross cutting of young and old eyes. And he said that's the one thing he's having the most problems with right now. Interesting. I'm fucking so fascinated. I cannot wait to see like Netflix isn't going to drop a trailer to this thing until like a month before right. probably and you know if Scorsese be... can't pull it off then like nobody can or it's some, you're going to have to wait a while again before yeah. anyone attempts this like eventually they're not even going to need real actors right. for this shit they're just going to need their likeness yeah um, which I'm sure they'll still get paid for I mean now when you know Mark Ruffalo is is um, wearing the 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 stop motion or not the stop motion, the motion capture suit. Yeah. You know, like a lot of the time that he's probably actually spending in his trailer or tweeting or some, <laughs> somewhere else. Right. Yeah. So now it's, it's just even cutting the middleman out further where it's like, yeah, we'll just scan you in a uh, uh, Bojack Horseman. We'll made pay fun someone of this. much cheaper to just act it out. And yeah. Then we'll do- <laughs> and we'll just scan you and we'll pay no, but you, I think you $4 still, million dollars for, for a it. good performance. I still think you need, um, someone in a room and like even in in gaming yeah like it's not gonna work could you imagine a british like a small mike lee british kitchen sink drama with all motion capture de-aged people like it just it would be so alien i think you're gonna see the rise of maybe some people that like if if people go check out troy baker who um is a voice actor but also like i mean he's a video game actor uh prominently but like they do in gaming now too it's mostly motion capture right but you're able to create these characters that are nothing like the people that are doing the motion capture for them right and like um 
like Troy Baker, who plays Joel in The Last of Us, and he plays a million other characters in, in a ton of different games, but each one is completely different. So he's both a voice actor, but also a performer because he's doing the motion capture for all of these roles. And I'm wondering if we're getting closer and closer to a future where, I mean, we're seeing that in some animated films, right? Like it, right. it's going to look so realistic. Well, Andy Serkis like, is the real pioneer yeah, here, right? Where it's yeah. like, he he got he got on the ground level of this and 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 when it does get to that point i mean lion king comes out in a couple of weeks right? right and i know those are animals but we're going to get that weird thing of like these look like real fucking lions right. and we're, or we're going like, to notice certain mannerisms or expressions that certain actors have but, uh, that will come through like yeah or 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 like seth rogan's like laugh coming yeah. out of a warthog <laughs> and like, what I'm, the I'm fuck like, like oh gosh <laughs> yeah is this um, warthog high or am I? <laughs> oh, that warthog is going to be fucking blazed throughout that whole movie, man. Uh, I'm curious, man. How yeah. much money do you bet that there will be some sort of pot reference with his character? A thousand percent. Yeah. Some sort of weird jungle pot reference, yeah. Uh, excited for that, too. So we'll see, man. Uh, Irishman. Do you think it shows up at TIFF? No. I think if it's going to show up in the fall festival, it'll be New York. Okay. If it does. Um, because it might not be ready. Yeah, that's true. Um, on that note, too, we actually have some um, some cool news for, I mean, mostly for us, but also for the listeners. And then we'll wrap up the show. Um, uh, the Untitled Movie Podcast is accredited for TIFF. Fucking awesome for us, man. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, I, I'm just, it made me very proud when I got that. Like, the this stupid podcast we do every week which is the most fun that i have every single week um um i know we were accredited to a couple other festivals earlier in the year that we weren't able to actually go to just because again this is a it's both a career and a side project it is your full-time job but you your full-time job is rogers Mm -hmm. and and this is a side gig for you and then for me my full-time job is in marketing and and um, this is a side job for me, but we do it because we love it. And, um, we never expect anyone to take us seriously, but like, also it feels very nice when, when we have that validation, validation through stuff like this. And, um, TIFF I know is both yours and my fa- absolute favorite time of the year. We have spent. Well, we live here, right? We we live here. We should um, be the ones to complain first about <laughs> the broken escalator at Scotiabank yes. Theater, not these international <laughs> press that spent to deal two with weeks yeah. in a year saying, "Oh, I have to take the elevator or climb the stairs." No, we get to do that, and because, we love all of you. He's, yeah, he's but mostly joking. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but it just feels cool. Like I remember when I got my first press badge back in two thousand thirteen. Ironically, the year I met Nevis when I worked with Bonnie Lawfer, our, our good friend at um, Tribute Entertainment. At the time. At the time. She works for um, herself now on, yes. on, and has um, a series of interviews on YouTube. Yeah, check out Bonnie's stuff. It, she's she's one of the literal best people in the business. Um, uh, and then the next year at uh, Toronto Film Scene, which was an interesting year. And then switching over to industry, and I know you've gone mostly the industry route just out of, you know what, that was... It's easier. It's, yeah, yeah, it really is, right? And then um, it just feels cool now to have our own outlet and uh, and now getting back into the... the the press side of things and and i mean you've been doing it consistently i've been in and out of the game and and now that 
we found this groove of doing this every week and as much work as it is, it doesn't really feel like work, even though I work at eight or nine hour day and then come straight to do this this doesn't and then talk for two hours it doesn't really feel like work but it does take um, time like that's the other thing like we should mention like we have like even though yeah this podcast has only been up for about a year or coming up to a year we have been in the industry either on and off or consistently for i started in 2006 and i would say that i really didn't like i was covering films and 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 working for rogers on daytime and being the the friday film critic but i remember um, when we first started getting accredited through studio right but that took time right like i i remember for the longest time i was having to go to the theater and pay to see uh the last week's films to review yeah and then it wasn't until around 2011 2012 where i was starting to get accredited so you know for anybody that is wanting to go this route and 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 you know, become a uh, critic, whether it be part-time, full-time hobby or hobby, you know, don't give up. It takes a long time, but also realize that this is something that you really want to do and not necessarily rely on it as a um, paying a full-time paying job. Yeah. I don't want to discourage anyone. I mean, it's it's an interesting time in many industries. And I think film criticism is a, uh, is I don't want it is sort of it's it's, it's it, not dying but it's it's the paying jobs are few and far between yeah and um like you are gonna have to probably work either two jobs or work for or a, you just gotta a, luck a out company too, yeah. yeah yeah like if you are if you if you luck out and are working for or a, just be a, a super talented outlet. work your ass off and you'll yeah. find something but yeah yeah and it is I mean that's the other thing about this job but is I mean both of us have done that and yeah it's been very hard, it's so. it is it's it's thankless like this is this is something where you do it because you want to do it and and it's not it, because. Yeah of the success or the fame of it and And there are perks like getting a a, a festival badge yeah, or seeing or, a movie or joining early. a membership yeah. or things like that but but again those are the, they're very small but when they happen they're the most meaningful to yeah. us and that's why we're really excited about this because you know like even though yeah this podcast has only been around for a year and even though we got accredited through the podcast we've still been around for a long time. So we've paid our dues in other areas. Like we're not just somebody that just started overnight. Mm-hmm. And that's important to distinguish because I know there's and, a lot of other people that are, are extremely talented writers and, and editors and personalities that have been working at this for, for a long time or people that are just starting up. Um, and, and it takes time and, and you got to, keep at it i find consistency is the one thing that's yeah and look at me i was out of the game for almost four years right like and um or two two to four years on and off doing things with you right and then i had to step away to get into marketing just to kind of make a living and it was upsetting but i still wanted to work in the entertainment industry which is why i worked at show me and things like that and as much as i've had to step away from working in the entertainment industry i that's why i stepped back into doing this and like yeah i I love tiff and i I love this industry and i again it's always been a dream of mine to 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 work in this industry and i i found a way to do that by balancing personal life with a a work life and and just having a good work life balance and as much as 
I, me and you just love doing this and we appreciate we would we do it have, even if we weren't recording a podcast and or even if, if we only had two listeners yeah. like and and again like if we were doing this for one person if i made one person's day more enjoyable because they listened to our dumb conversation for whether you listen to it for 20 minutes or the whole two hours and something which i know there are many people who listen to this every week and i'm always surprised <laughs> right <laughs> and uh, not to, like we're both self-deprecating uh, and we're no both, refunds like, yeah we're both <laughs> self-deprecating and we both like underestimate ourselves i think too and like um uh, but yeah it, it's just cool man so yeah we're super pumped uh we'll what go- we're basically saying is we would have covered tiff anyways we would have we paid. So the jokes on them well the la- <laughs> last year we did that yeah, we, yeah right yeah. after we started yeah. and right? if you and want like, to still go back and listen to the nearly four, four and a half hour <laughs> that's what got us in. you know uh, someone's of, like of these, tiff coverage these guys are fucking crazy yeah we and, and, and we hope to do more stuff like that and and, and stuff during the festival oh, we're gonna have well. an even more robust kind of coverage schedule this year so we'll give you guys more more details as we get closer to tiff and we're pretty close so yeah like, i mean the first announcement of the first wave of, of yeah is, is is late july or is yeah, it usually mid to late july so we'll cover that yeah and we'll we'll do a full preview show in uh late august or early september depending on uh, hopefully we'll have stuff that we've seen even before the festival that if you know the embargoes are dropped we can release mm-hmm. stuff there that are specific you know reviews of one movie because i know we will talk in a general sense, covering, you know, before and after the festival and during the festival. We're going to we'll, try to do daily roundups, which yeah. will probably be more akin to the Untitled Movie Reviews where we're doing maybe a half an hour or 40 minutes. We'll probably minutes sound more like, haggard. <laughs> we will sound more haggard or maybe we'll be doing it over coffee or beers or whenever or we Taco can. Or Taco Bell. Or, yeah, whenever we can squeak in probably an hour to uh, uh, a little bit more, we're going to have to either pack a portable recording device or just use our phones so it'll it'll have a different feel and i think that'll be cool and um and yeah man i'm just i'm super pumped tiff is my favorite time of the year and um uh, i love getting to hang out with you for 11 days straight or whatever it is 10 days straight right um and just constantly building our schedules it's the nerdiest i ever get man. oh that is a lot of fun like when we figure out it's like it's so satisfying when you when you're able to fit in everything you want to see or at least perfectly or whatever yeah like watching you sort of put together a schedule is like watching you know a painter (laughs) or a sculptor (laughs) put together their work of art i love doing it it's one of the weirdest things like i I feel like you should you should like have a service where i I will put together your tiff schedule like you should get in touch with tiffer and be like guys like i could be that person that like you know, comes in for a fee and helps other people arrange their schedules so they can get the most out of a day. It should be a service I offer to industry people, like some guys who are like high up that just don't realize what they either should go watch or how they fit everything into their schedule. Like Adam McGoyan, every time we see him at the industry desk, he's always asking like what movies are on and what they're about. And it's like someone like him, like I remember talking to him once when uh, a a friend of mine, um, a former employer, um, knew him and introduced and he, and he asked me uh, about a couple movies, and and it was always it's always interesting to see like the industry people because they're always working on their their stuff that they don't really yeah. have much of a, a concept of what is going on outside of of, of the work because it, it is a they're bubble, in their bubble, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I love it. I'm meticulous and like obsessive almost of when it comes to the TIFF schedule, and it's one of my favorite days of the year is when that 
TIFF schedule drops and when TIFFer finally gets up and, and we get together and we, um, uh, we just spend hours and hours and hours. Um, and it doesn't feel like that, though. Um, like, it just goes by so quickly, like, in terms of putting it together and, like... It's, it's almost like watching a movie in itself. It's like, oh, my God, like the suspense of like, are we going to get – yes. Yeah. We were able to get five movies in one day and oh it God. actually worked. This year is going to be – yeah. We say this all the time, I though, know. what you're going but to say. Because I want to put out content every day, too. We just need – I want to find time to actually try and do that, right? right? And but you got to think But we of, do have time. Like there, there are always – there are always gaps. And especially like the first couple of days where things are only starting. Like the first day – is usually like there's there's a lot. I mean, there is a lot of industry the screenings, is but usually, the evenings yeah. are usually pretty free because they're just the opening night films and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But I think we'll figure it out. Like we'll pre do a lot of pre production on everything. I can set up all this. We're getting inside baseball of how we do the podcast. Now we're just nerding out, getting excited for TIFF. But very excited. Uh, thank you so much to to TIFF and everyone. And just like. I, I it it feels thank you to Cameron Bailey suits yeah I we hope to try and talk to him at some point too if we ever can but like um it's our favorite time of the year and we're we're can't wait to give everyone robust coverage of the the film festival I would love to start sprinkling in God there's still some TIFF videos from us from like 2012 or something or yeah, like, like Silver Linings Playbook yeah, we're reviewing and it stuff was so like that. interesting we're both slimmer <laughs> like happier uh, yeah not jaded by the industry <laughs> no we're not jaded we're as we're you can tell by the way we're talking about tiff right now how excited we are we don't i i eric and i paid 800 plus dollars every year for an industry badge because we and eric still does to this day and like we're we're slowly like eric mentioned it hard work um but also, just because we care so much, will any means possible for us to get like the best coverage, even whether it's but it's it's both work and play, right. which is interesting, and which uh, I think is is the balance that's needed for yeah. this. Because again, like I understand where like people can feel despair when it comes to like they put in everything they have and the work is is good and you know they get nowhere, but it takes so long to do it and it's not an overnight thing no matter you know how much access people have and we're very lucky with content what now. we're able like we're very we've been blessed with the access we've been given and and things like that too so i don't want to um, right but, but we, we have we have hard, we, we have again we have worked for it though 100 like, you know we've paid our dues and and what I think have you and yeah so. i like to think that we're yeah i don't know man it's 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 really cool and i'm very proud of this small stupid thing that we um we put together we've created this monster. Yes, it's our own personal Chucky. <laughs> Go check out our Chucky review on that note, as well as our Toy Story review, as well as our... Yesterday. yesterday review which we keep forgetting about so uh go check out untitled movie reviews and i think this pretty much wraps up this episode of the untitled movie podcast uh you guys can get this each and every week on podcast services everywhere uh we'd really appreciate if you guys went and uh share share this with a friend you know someone who likes movies send them a link you know go hey subscribe to this rate us five stars uh, follow us on uh, all of the social medias. Um, as always, uh, my name is Matt. You can uh, see more of my work around the interwebs as well as at untitledmoviepodcast.com, which is the podcast you're listening to. Um, and you can follow me on all of the social media uh, at Matt Rohrbeck, uh, mostly on Twitter 
and letterboxed if you want to see if you want to follow along with our first segment that we do every week which is what have you been watching you can see that in real time on letterboxd and see did i give anchorman five stars probably because it's stupid and i enjoy Uh, it a lot excuse me it's a five star movie i think so don't apologize for that five stars and Eric. Yes, uh, you can find more of my work, uh, obviously, on uh, the Untitled Movie Podcast and Untitled Movie Reviews, um, but also on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene. I also have reviews for Toy Story 4, Child's Play, uh, Wild Rose, Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir, which I highly recommend people check out. Um, and you can find me on the social medias at em6211 like matt i also use <laughs> matt is showing me a photo of the annabelle uh doll at uh canada's wonderland, canada's wonderland. <laughs> she's everywhere um it's an interesting toy for uh, interesting time for uh toys being alive in movies i was at the twitter offices two days ago annabelle was there yeah. i had lunch with her she was just creepily sitting in a chair. Tell her there. how bad her, her movies are. Well, I mean, Annabelle creation, not off. Have you seen the original Annabelle? No. It is very bad. Terrible. Yeah. yeah, anyways, so you can find me on social medias at EM6211. Like Matt, I'm mostly on Twitter and uh, Letterboxd. Um, yeah. And until next time, thrill me.